بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Peace, I'm Brother Ali. Welcome back to the Traveler's Podcast. We always begin by saying, Assalamu alaikum, which is a prayer associated with the religion of Islam. And it, it's a prayer saying, may peace be your state. May that be your condition. Peace be upon you. But salam doesn't only mean peace. It does mean peace, but it means a peace that's representative and comes about because of wholeness. So it really means, may you be whole. May you be complete. May that be your condition. And that's a really beautiful thing to say. And I'm really grateful for that, having that greeting, because that's really what we want from each other. We want wholeness. We want stillness. We want to be complete. We want human beings to be complete. You know, and that greeting comes into hip hop culture when we say peace, both as a way of greeting and also a way of parting. So when we see each other, peace, 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 what's going on? Peace, what up? Also, when we leave, all right, peace out. You know, and the word peace was in hippie culture um, as a thing to say, but as a greeting, it enters the popular culture through hip hop because of the fact that hip hop is so inspired by black Islam, by particular uh, forms of black Islam, such as the 5% nation of gods and earths, the nation of Islam, the lost found nation of Islam in North America, um, you know, also the community of Imam Warthi Muhammad, also the community of uh, Dr. Malachi York in Brooklyn and Atlanta, also the community of uh, Noble Drew Ali. You know, these were people that sparked black consciousness and had such a huge impact on the founding of hip hop as a culture, you know, that that's why that word peace is in there. And, you know, just kind of reflecting on this idea of wholeness and being complete. That's really what this podcast is about. And that's what culture is about. That distinction that we make between entertainment and the music industry and culture. Culture is the connective tissue that holds us together and that, and that preserves context. Part of what this culture does, you know, this culture of domination and colonization and dehumanizing others, um, you know, of white supremacy and so, other, so many other forms of domination, is that it robs people of their culture and of their context. Uh, it tells lies of omission because it shows people in, in certain parts of their picture, you know, it, it, it's very selective of what it puts, allows to be in the screen and in focus and what it leaves out of the story. And in so much of what's left out of these stories is the fullness of the humanity of the people who do the art, who create the art that we love. You know, the Kanye West documentary is such a great example of that because like, you know, I've always loved this guy and he said so many things that I'm like, whoa, wow, okay. You know, but I was around like seeing Kanye in this documentary. Kanye was out promoting himself and trying to get recognized at the same time I was. Shadows on the Sun came out the same year and around the same time as College Dropout. And I remember seeing him at radio stations and at press things. And, you know, I, I would see Kanye. And, you know, and I've always had this this deep love for him. And I don't know him, you know, we met, but I don't know him like that. We've got a lot of mutual friends um, and some people that are really important to him are also really important to me, but I don't know him like that. And so you see Kanye, what's shown on the news and in the media, and it's easy to be like, oh, he's crazy and he's a narcissist and he's this and he's that. 
But I'm so grateful for this documentary. And I cried so many times watching this thing, you know, watching Kanye uh, have to to expose himself to so much rejection when deep down all he's saying is, hey, there's something amazing. There's a treasure inside me that deserves to be heard. And everybody's rejecting him almost, you know, and what it takes to push, you know, Kanye kept pushing when I didn't, you know, I found a group of people, a group of listeners that would support me and let me say whatever I wanted. And honestly, like I stopped trying to grow my platform and expand it beyond that. I found the people that listened to me and I was just like, okay, I can live on this. And and I didn't want to expose my heart to that rejection anymore. And so I just got comfortable living in that. That's the truth. And I realized that so much watching that documentary. But Kanye didn't, you know, and seeing him with his beautiful mother, Miss Donda, again, never met her, I don't think. Um, although my, my brother, Rhymefest, who wrote a lot of the stuff for Kanye and still continues to to help a lot with the writing. You know, he ran her foundation. I think he maybe still does, Donda's house. You know, seeing him with his mother and you realize like his mother is the only person on earth that really understands him and knows how to be with him and knows how to hold him, you know. So we see these pictures of, of Kanye, but we're robbed of the context. So I'm so grateful for that that documentary to show, you know, who this person is as the as the full human being that he is. Because all he's been saying this whole time is, I have a treasure inside me that others might benefit from. And he's been right the whole time, the whole, whole time. And, you know, what it takes for him to push be it further than I was willing to push is really powerful. I'm in a hotel. People are running their water. That's a good sign for me to try to move on, brother Ali. I could talk about this forever, but this is what this podcast is about. <laughs> Somebody just stop brushing their teeth or whatever. But man, you know, this reality of like, we see these artists and we hear their amazing art. You know, we see Sa Rock and we hear Chuck D. We hear their amazing art. And we see these great leaders like Ilhan Omar and Cornell West and Keith Ellison. But there's so much there there's the community, there's the family, there's the backstory, there's the fullness and the richness of their humanity. That's what I'm interested in because that's what led me to hip hop. You know, I'm, my parents are white. I come from this, you know, section of life. But I didn't discover black music and fall in love with black music and then say, oh, let me get to know these people, which is what a lot of people do. And there's, there's you know, we don't choose our entrance into things, our introduction to things, especially when we're little. But, you know, I was taught how to live life by black families and by black communities and by black elders and friends. And, you know, that's the way that life became livable for me. And then I discovered the music afterwards. So what I've always wanted to do is just share what I believe to be the truth. And what, I, what my experience has been, like, look at the richness and the beautiful, uh, even just beautiful resistance and the, 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 what it says about the human spirit and the richness of the soul of a human being, the, 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 the priceless ocean of meaning that's in every single human being and in us as a human family. So that's what we're here to do. Along those lines, I want to get to our episode this week is with one of my dear, beloved friends. I consider him to be a teacher, Stokely, Stokely Williams, uh, who was known so long for, for his work with Mint Condition, and now he's embarked on the solo part of his career. 
Stokely is somebody that's really well known in the black community and not very well known outside of the black community uh, because of the fact that mint condition never crossed over. They never became mainstream. And really what that means is they, they are celebrated in black communities. You go to a black wedding or family reunion or graduation party, and if their big songs come on, um, Breaking My Heart, which is better known by Pretty Brown Eyes, or Swinging, You Send Me Swinging, or What Kind of Man Would I Be, or like all of these amazing records that they have, um, you know, everybody's reacting to those in, the, in, in a black environment, in a black space. In a white space, it's like, maybe I've heard this before. So they didn't cross over. And basically what it means to be mainstream is that white people like you. And for an artist like Stokely, who you know has Grammy nominations, he he's has huge hits on Billboard. You know they sell out arenas in D.C. or Oakland or Texas, or you know places that have big black communities that have money to spend on concerts. You know they're they're super celebrated and well known. And that you know I talked to you know some of the people that support this podcast that live in D.C. and live in other places, and they're like, "Yo, you're talking to Stokely. That's amazing." But you know there there are so much of that context is lacking, and so we hear from Stokely that his father is the leading black historian and public intellectual in the Twin Cities. Elder Mahmoud Al-Kati, who's a professor and, you know, just an amazing elder and teacher in the community. And we hear about Stokely's past in music. They came out being a band when that wasn't popular and insisting on it. They came out in the 90s, you know, those were singing groups. They came out in the 90s speaking to women as full human beings, not just saying that you remind me of my Jeep, not just wanting to knock the boots, not just wanting to, you know, go half on a bait, but really like speaking to women as human beings and asking questions. What kind of man would I be if I treated women like this? You know what I mean? Um, you know, all of these really major things that they insisted upon talking about, black standards of beauty, resisting you know, that the idea that, that white standards of beauty is the only way to be beautiful, to a song called Pretty Brown Eyes. So Stokely stuck to his guns, and he's always done that. And now as a solo artist, he's continuing to do that. And he's an amazing human being with an amazing story, so I'm so grateful to have him on the podcast. Uh, so we'll jump right into that. Forgive me for being so long-winded, but man, I could talk about all these things for hours. Anybody that has to listen to me talk all the time knows that Trust me, this is short. I'm trying to become more brief with these with these intros, but uh, we're brought to you by Zakat Foundation. We're brought to you by Rezma Menikim and his new book, uh, The Quaking of America. We're brought to you by Vice Gerent, makers and manufacturers of fine men's clothing, and then also by UPF, Unity Productions Foundation. So enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here on the Travelers Podcast. I really want to start with talking about your dad. All right. You know, I, I'm, it's interesting, like for all of the interviews and all of the things that people do about you, I think that it's largely unknown to the people that know how great and how amazing you are, you know, and all of us are who we are because somebody raised us and poured into us and taught us and loved us and we have a community. But for the people that may be watching or listening that don't realize that your father is the premier uh, black elder, historian, professor, uh, public intellectual, scholar, you know, and a really accessible one at that, uh, you know, elder, Dr. Mahmoud Al-Kati. So yeah. I wonder if you could, 
just start out by just talking about Pops and a little bit about his work and life and, you know, just well, to introduce the people to Pops. Absolutely, man. He is um, everything uh, that you mentioned, you know, to me as well and to many others. And that a lot of that wouldn't be a possible other all the ground that he's covered too without my mother tt leo as well so i'd give her some absolute props and love you know mm -hmm. and um holding uh, the family up is you know uh, me coming through when i was younger and you know just seeing all the work that she put in so that he was able to go out here and uh literally fight figuratively and literally fight for um rights and uh some advancement for us you know what i mean progress um but this man is uh still um my north star you mm. know I, I call him and um everything that i've done i mean he's probably one of the fiercest most engaged uh what should i say he's as focused as a laser you know mm. always just right there i'm just like man it's just amazing he's relentless <laughs> you know he can't help but to teach and you you've been around him you know it's just like if you're going to ask him a question you might want to have a seat <laughs> right because you know, you're going to be something whether you want to learn or not, you're going to learn something out of it. You know, you're going to learn you today. So it's been, uh, in, you know, I can just remember times when I was younger, you know, you'd take me somewhere. And if you're being a young kid, you have all this energy and you have all these different interests and your friends, you want to produce this and that. You may not want to go to a meeting with him when you're, you know, 12 years old or something like that. And I'm like, nah, why? But why? I don't want to go over to the way over north. And, you know what I mean? So, but little did I know all these things were seeping into me and just looking at the examples, not of only of him, but I saw all of these strong black men who a lot of them became my mentors, people who helped look out for me. That was part of my village. Mm -hmm. So all the things that we, that all these popular phrases that are, that we hear today, you know, it takes a village and all these different things. And, you know, um, that was me. I was a child of like the revolution back then. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was, you know, just kind of front seat to all these different things, which I didn't understand at the time. But I think sometimes it's not, it wasn't for me to understand fully. Sometimes it's just to sit there in it the way that I was feeling sometimes. Yes, all of that. I needed that mm -hmm. just because that shows growth. You know, like, like by the time I got to be a teenager, I was like, okay, I'm starting to get it. You know, he's talking about, he'd been talking about white supremacy for the longest time and how we all have white supremacy in us because of, you know, the system. So I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not a white supremacist, what are you talking, you know? Little did I know as it started living a little bit more, I was like, ah, okay. So this thing is ex has exploded with, you know, you know, George Floyd thing and things, all the stuff that we don't see. So these are the things that I grew up learning and just, you know, self-love, love about your, uh, your culture. Um, I grew up playing, that's part of the reason I grew up playing, you know, African instruments, playing with African uh, uh, dance troops and mm -hmm. uh, learning chants and these different things. You know, he happened to know this brother from Panama, Francisco mm -hmm. Lloyd, you know, he's, my father heard something, both of my parents heard something. It was a, uh, some antique bongos they brought back from one of their trips to Africa. And um, they are like, wow, this is, sound like somebody knows what the, what is that? It was this tip, tip, tip. It sounded like somebody knew some patterns, but it was mm -hmm. me beating out, you know, some patterns or whatever. So, and he rubbed his eyes like, am I seeing what I'm seeing, you know? I must have been so, three so or something like, like they're that. waking up in bed and they're hearing yeah. drums, but it's not a record. And you're like three, four years old. Right. And yeah. you, you pull the bongos down off the wall and when yeah. they're... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> whatever it was. I'm just I'm going to town, you know. And um, 
he said, I, you know, I don't want to be, I might be biased, but it sounds good to me. I don't know though. So I, it's, he called his friend, you tell me, come over here and see if he's, if he's any good or is it just me, this father son thing, you know? Mm -hmm. He said, no, he's got quick hands. He's good. I'll take him with me. And then my first gig was at the first national bank in Minneapolis at the time. I was standing on top of this metal chair and the caption in, in the paper was uh, big drum, tiny drummer. Because I was standing, I, you know, the drum was bigger than me, so I was standing on top of there. So these things he saw was me like at a gym very bit? young. This was a, just a regular uh, uh, American conga. It might have been a, a, a company called Gombop. Mm. You know, which I used to love Gombop and, and LP congas. And um, yeah, man, they, um, I hadn't graduated the gym base yet. Gym base, you know, when I, that, when I saw one of those, I'd be like, oh, wow, it's like the real thing. The talking drum. You got to learn the language yeah. of that joint. Yes, yeah, man. So. Pops uh, saw a lot of these things. He would, you know, um, just any you know, little um, uh, contest or anything, any little um, neighborhood community thing, event that they would have. He tried to enter me into it and just to get the exposure. And the thing, again, that I didn't understand <laughs> at the time, it's like, okay, before you play, I want you to say something about the drum. I want you to say something about the rhythm you're playing, all these things. I was like, can I just play, man? Come on. Don't. Why? Why do we got to do all that You got to give a dissertation first. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so, but I'm so glad that he did that because it helped bring me out of my shell because I was definitely a uh, shyer kid. In some ways, I still can be. Everybody has these things. And we're just nothing but uh, children with layers anyway. We call ourselves grownups, but, you know. That's how it goes. Um, but these things kind of helped me to develop. And, um, you know, he, again, was there. Both my parents saw that. And they're like, they just kept, you know, um, supporting in that way. And when it got time where I started playing with making these connections with other people and playing in bands, we would rehearse down in, uh, a lot of times, a lot of the bands I was in, uh, rehearsed down in the basement, my parents' house. And so I don't know how they stood, stood all that noise. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot, it was loud, and it didn't let up. I was always practicing. If no one was there, it was me practicing. My mom come mm. home, like, headache, and she put, turn the light off and off and on and off. You know, it's like, can you, you know, bring the volume down a little bit? I would do it for like five minutes and that creep up. He's <laughs> getting them full volume again. He's like, hey! I'm like, oh, and I creeped on. So on and on we go, and I'm, that process and that pattern would continue. So, um, yeah, they were, I mean, just by being there and allowing that mm -hmm. says so much. It allowed me to, to explore in a world that was just new to me. It was just like, that felt good. I felt like I was meeting myself every day, you know, every time that I would, you know, hear. It's like, these are my thoughts. Communicate, you know, and telling my body what to do. And I was just developing, I didn't realize I was developing a skill, you know, and then playing with other people, learning how to communicate through vibration. You know, I say something, they say something back. We say something at the same time and mm -hmm. on and on we go, depending on how many players are in the room, you know, and this is the language of music, the language of um, this is that uh, the sonic vibration that is it resonates through us. You know, we have music in us. It's just we have to find it. That's why I think a lot of kids and you know, as humans, we love drums because it's here first, mm -hmm. you know, the heartbeat. And um, yeah, man, this is something I've always, uh, you know, when I used to play in drum and bugle chords, I'm like, why are why do kids always rush to drums in the street? It's like, because it's in us. We mm -hmm. love it. And it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like these other things that we learn 
we either muted. I actually know some people who don't like music or they're like, oh, I can take it or leave it. I'm like, wow, really? That's, that's amazing to me. And they have another type of brain. Not bad, just different. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just interesting to, uh, to hear that because I, I can't imagine. Like, where, like what's informing your, your speech and your movement if you don't have music? Like the movement of your body and, the, and your speaking and your, your relating, if, you, if, you, if you're missing that language of music, it's almost like missing an entire sense. But it's more than just Absolutely. one sense. Because like you say, right. there's, the, there's, a, there's a visual element to music and there's a, you know, and that's something that's so beautiful about the, the way that jazz musicians, especially like Miles and his crew, were just mm. like, you know, I could tell by the way a mother held the horn whether or not he could play that. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Just like you hold the, you hold the horn wrong. Yeah. I don't right. care what it sounds like. You look like a punk, man. I don't like right, it. Right, this, this <laughs> right. This is not going to work. No, get out of the whole building. I, I can't play with you in the building. <laughs> no, you don't look right. Get out. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it, that is definitely yeah, what is informing. That's so true, man. It's like because mm -hmm. it's life, life is music. That's not just a phrase. Mm -hmm. You know, life is music and music is life. I mean, music is all around us. When you walk, there's a certain type of rhythm. Absolutely. When you speak, yes. I listen to the intonation of our voices. If you listen to, and it's easier to do if you don't know another language. You hear, you know, that's. And that's a very West African rhythm, but there's many. That's yes. more like a Fulani yes. type yes. of thing. But you yes. hear like Mandinka speak, it's very different. You yeah. know what I mean? In Nigeria, it's yeah. very different than it is yes. in Ghana or in yes. Senegal or something like that. Yes. Yes. Very, yes. Nigeria is very different. Especially yeah, in the north. Very, very, dum, 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 very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then you find out, what did he say? And he's like, oh, he was asking me if there's going to be, if I made the bread. Be like, damn! I thought you guys were arguing. <laughs> that's so true. Languages do that, man. It's and it's, but that's the beautiful thing. I love languages just to hear. And a lot of times, if I don't know it, I just listen to the cadence of it. Didn't you start singing because you you started by like mimicking people's voices? Yeah. And yeah. then that transferred. Al Green over. was the guy. Well, I would mimic it. I would mimic my my family. My uncle come over. Uh, come over. And he had this real gravelly voice. Uh -huh. In this real bellowing laugh kind of thing, and then my aunts were over there, and they'd be real high, and I'd so I'd mimic that. But as far as musically, Al Green was like fifteen different people inside of one person. I'm uh. like, what? He'd be down there and it's doing all. I'm like, what? Who is that? I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought it was fun, mm. you know. So I'd get the broom, play my air guitar, that kind of thing, and I guess I was mimicking these tones um, as I was mimicking. What I was doing was I was training my voice. I didn't know it. I just mm -hmm. was doing this all the time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, it just became a thing. So, you know, fast forward when I got to high school, they had a recording studio in there. You know, I started to experiment with songs and, you know, putting together things, you know, with the keyboard and the drum machine and my vocal. And for sure, when I started stacking vocals and that kind of thing, mm. I definitely, I was like, I felt like I definitely was meeting myself for the first time. I was like, oh, that's what I sound like. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, so I can do this and I can just follow or I can do this or I can make this vowel here. And it's, oh, okay. So I was just discovering me in another way. Mm -hmm. you know, but to hear yourself back like that for the first time, it was just, it was a whole other world. It was a new world. It was a, you know, I'm out there in space, man, you know, and it's never ended. I'm still exploring and I'm so glad that I'm still interested in what I'm, what I'm doing that 
uh, I'm glad that the business hasn't uh, spoiled me in a way. It's come close because it can be really crazy. You know what I mean? When you talk about pops and like just knowing about your father, like I've seen you so I've seen you stay the course and stick to your principles and what you believe in from mm. the very beginning, even before I knew you. Like when I was, mm. when I, we lived in Michigan and when I was uh, coming into 10th grade, we moved to Minneapolis. And I remember okay. Chris Rock had that bit where he was like, ain't no black people in Minnesota. It's like Prince and Kirby Puckett. <laughs> right. And I was like, no, mint condition is there. Like I remember thinking like, it can't be <laughs> that funny. bad because mint condition is there. That's hilarious. You know what I mean? So when <laughs> wow, me and you start really? hanging out and traveling and stuff like that, yeah. I never, it's weird because like we, we were so comfortable that I, 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 I yeah. quickly moved through that like, yo, this is freaking Stokely right now. You know what I mean? Wow, I moved through really it really quickly because we're so, you know, because yeah. you're so yeah, personable. It, and we, we started to speak in the same language all the way. But um, yeah, that was one of the main yeah. things for me. And, you know, it's deep that uh, speaking about drums, about the drums specifically, like there's a very white supremacist thing that happened in the music industry in America where they put the drums in the back like they're not important. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because th mm. this idea of, of um, you know, just like that's something that's just in the background. You just keep time. You know, mm -hmm. you're unimportant. You're not, you're not the, you're not the, but in traditional music, whether we're talking about African music or Arab music or a lot, a lot of especially um, griots and storytellers and singers and poets and uh, people that, that perform and recite as like a, a spiritual practice. It's very common to see a person play a drum and sing to be the, the singer and yes. the drummer. That's right. Whether they're playing that right. like Duff or they're like the, the, the brothers in South America that sit on that box looking drum. What's that thing yeah. called? The, oh, yeah, the cajon. And, yeah, to cajon, be able yeah. to sit on that joint and... Yeah. And tell the story and play the drum at the same like, time. Uh. When I'm traveling now, <clears throat> I have the drums on the side, almost in the front, but they're kind of, it's sing very well, because that, that was one thing I was like, you know what? The drums need to be, this is part of, uh, it's funny that you say that, because that was part of my, um, the vision of it. And mm -hmm. I was thinking like, why is that? I always felt like, I always felt like I had a front seat, you know, like being a lead, singer right now is really interesting because <clears throat> the drummer that was in back i'm able to tele i was able to tele telegraph what everybody was doing i understood everybody's position because no matter what instrument you play whether it's harmony uh, harmony melodic you all have to it all has to come from you have to have some rhythm with it mm -hmm. you know what i mean you have to put it it's kind of like everything has its spot even in space, space is an area as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So everything has a pulse, you know, it just depends on where you put it. And I felt like that being in the back of the room, being able to see what the drummers, I'm seeing what the singer is doing, what the horn player is doing, guitar player, keyboard, you know, bass player. And I knew I could, but because the drummer, he controls the time mm -hmm. and controls the dynamics, really. How loud something's going to be, how fast. So he's kind of like the pace setter, mm -hmm. you know, setting the time. And to me, it just was an amazing place to be. Just in, I was taking in all of the melody, all the harmony. And I think it's just a very powerful area if you use it right. You know, some people, that, you know, it's like you got to take that, that chair very seriously, which mm -hmm. I did. And my percussion upbringing definitely helped sustain me and then helped um, with the discipline. Because when you play... African, West African music, and you playing with dancers, you know, it's an African drum course, and everybody has their part. 
and you stick to that part, and then the master drummer is watching what the dancers, the lead dancers, doing whoever's dancing at the time. The rest of the time, everybody else, your shoulders are bleeding because you're sitting there playing a rhythm for like 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, and you stick. But you learn that inside of that rhythm, there's life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, all that discipline is a really powerful place to be. So it was a world within a world for me. It wasn't just playing drums. It was kind of a spiritual prayer a lot of times. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it just comes from something that, that you align yourself with. You know, it was, and it was a God thing after a while, just straight up. You know, so I really learned that. When you talk about roots and the earth and everything, you talk about pops. This is what I was taught. So it's coming, bringing that back to him mm -hmm. and my parents. They're very rooted uh, in that. They're also rooted in connectivity, connecting with people and making sure that, which is what soul is to me. People always talk about, what is soul? Is it, you know, is it a beat? Is it funk? It's just connectivity to me. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. that connecting one uh, soul to another person, human being, or or an animal, whatever. Everything mm -hmm. has a soul to it. So, um, yeah, man. But he, um, I think that bringing it back to that uh, to pops, he um, those principles and those early things. Whether he knew he, was, he a lot of it was was intentional as far as what he was teaching. Some of it was just like he knew he was in the area and knew I was going to get something from it. So I'm able to put it and funnel it through my own self and uh this is how it comes out so definitely kudos and i always tell them all the time it's like man you, you just can't help it man <laughs> just teaching all the time and 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 the thing that i've noticed and i haven't been around him a whole lot there are others that have definitely mm -hmm. spent way more time but when i met him i had just become i was i moved to minneapolis become a muslim and uh there was like an african-american study group i went to cooper high school and um, I don't know if you remember Kelly Day, big brother yes, Kelly Day. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, good friend. Good may friend, he rest in peace. Yeah, yeah yes, man. Peace. So yeah. Kelly was the the head of this program, and he used to bring Elder Mahmoud in, and he would bring Spike Moss in, and he would mm -hmm. bring Floyd from uh, from the gym, and all of these mm -hmm. men would come through. Wow. Uh, it was actually funny because we had a we had an election. It was like we we're going to elect a president, vice president, secretary. And he said, we're not going to run for specific roles. Whoever gets the most votes is the president. Whoever gets the second most, the vice president, third most is the secretary. So mm. he called me in. He, he said, uh, I want you to come 10 minutes early for, for the meeting today. Kelly did. So, so I show up. He was like, wow. you got the most votes. And I was like, oh, OK. You know you can't be the president of this damn group, right? <laughs> <laughs> He was like, give me the secretary. <laughs> like, I <right>, understood. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. Amazing, amazing. So one day your pops was in wow. there. And, uh, and I'm asking him about his name, you know, because it's a, it's a Muslim name. Yeah. You know, it's the name of a Muslim. It's an Arabic yeah. name, a West African, uh, you yes. know, scholar who was a Muslim. Mm -hmm. And so I'm asking right. him, are you Muslim? And, da, 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 and I'm telling him all this stuff. And... He just started asking me questions and, and doing things just basically to what, what I came. It, it was really intense when he was doing it because he was dismantling mm. the things I thought I knew. But what mm. I realized is that he was he didn't want me to just become um, uh, stuck in a particular worldview or in a particular frame. You know what mm. I mean? And I saw him do mm -hmm. that with multiple people who came up saying different things. Someone would come and they would really specifically be on a particular platform. And I could see him saying, okay, yes, 
to, to what you're saying, but then what about this and what about that and what about, you know, just, just expanding the worldview to, to make people less comfortable in, in the little bit of the truth that they got. So it just really felt like the, the desire to learn and to connect and to grow and to recognize the, the beauty and the limitations and all of these different ideologies. And it's a very universalist approach. You know what I mean? That I thought very was really that. dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that uh, when people speak to him, I think he has the public persona that he's just locked into one thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I remember asking him a long time. It's like, how do you know so much? I must have been about 12 or something. So why do you, why do you know so much? You know, you know about black history. I mean, he said, actually, my focus, you know, coming up was more so world history. I studied a lot of European, you know, mm-hmm. and... The uh, Africanisms and the blackness was in living. I was like, which I thought was pretty unique. Mm-hmm. His experiences. So again, there again, it goes back to when you when I say, say I took what did I you know, what did I take away? It's like I take away. Um, it's just like to, like you say, don't be stuck and just have this universal approach. You know, it's like yeah, I studied you know Europe and world history, but looking at how black folks move, how Africans move, and, and the connectivity between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing I paid attention to because he always had something positive to say, like be at, be at a meeting or something. I remember, you know, a few times he'd, he'd be uh, trying to figure out how to do this. Everybody wanted to get to a certain place, but didn't know how to get there. So everybody's bickering and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he always had an approach of like, you know, coming right down the middle. It's like, you know, you're not right. You're not wrong for feeling this way over here and you're mm-hmm. not wrong for feeling this way over here. So how do we bring this together? Because we, we both passionately want the same things. We all are in here trying to figure out how to get to that mm-hmm. up there, you know. And to see this example over and over, and you just gave one, you know, uh, that is very true. And that's kind of where, where my heart is, where I saw that. So it's bringing people together because uh, that's just the opposite, polar opposite of like what's happening right now. They're trying to pit people against each other to, you know, keep an eye off the ball, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, to the remedy for that is to bring people together. So I've seen that all my life and I've seen that from a very young age. And, uh, and I guess that's why I am always a, um, at the center of me, I am a uh, collaborator. That's mm. why I was in a, in a band for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with that and spreading what it is and my, my gift, I'm clearly aware of my gifts and my energy and, uh, and to use other people's energy and use my own. We just kind of stir it around and, and try to make, make some things happen. You know, that's where, you know, I'm comfortable even now. You know, it's like, I don't care who you see in the limelight. You need people to help facilitate you to the point, you, whatever your vision is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, these, these, these gifts and things that I've seen, I mean, these examples are um, very near and dear. And it's, uh, it's interesting you're asking about it because it's like, I guess I've never talked about it in this way, which is, mm-hmm. you know, but leave it to you. Of course, you're going to have some thought provoking <laughs> questions you know well it's just amazing you know like i said the way that you have stuck to your guns but you've always done it quietly mm. you know that like any anybody who knows the way your training and the the way that the things that were impressed upon you you know to see you to hold on to having a band when that mm-hmm. wasn't popular, like when you all right. when when you all started, I mean, it was all singing groups. It was all right. boys to men and H Town and yep. you know Jodeci yep. and Jodeci. Shy and yeah. like all of the yes. you yeah. know every time you know it's like well if there's if black people are a group then there's going to be six mics and not an instrument in sight. 
Right. You know right. what I mean? And everybody's yeah. going to be, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we to came stick up, to that. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. But then also the content. I mean, mm. you're, the, the content of your songs, like I always looked at you and at Mint Condition like the equivalent of the hip hop that I love the most that mm. really sticks to like, we're dope. We're going to encapsulate the entirety of this tradition. Like if I look <laughs> at like Gangstar or Pete Rock mm. and CO Smooth or uh, Public Enemy, yeah. um, more so Gangstar and Pete Rock and CO Smooth. Mm-hmm. I look at, I look mm-hmm. at Mint Condition that way. Um, wow. and, but then also... Everything that we do Thank is you. gonna is going to promote dignity. All of the ways mm-hmm. that women are spoken to and spoken about, they're always mm-hmm. spoken to as 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 full human beings. You know what I mean? They're right. always wow. loved and honored and respected. And you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? If you listen to the, yeah. some of the other groups that I mentioned, and no shade or tea or any yeah. of that, yeah. but if you listen yeah. to them, they're just like, I want to freak you and I want to sex you, but you rub your yeah, body. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. all basically yeah. like. It's a very you remind me of my Jeep kind of situation. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whereas if you think about, yeah. uh, you know, pretty brown eyes. Yeah. It's, come, it's like, come on, man. We all know that yeah. Pops had, had folks reading the bluest eye. You know what I mean? So that's cutting against <laughs> white, white standards of uh, European beauty standards. You know what I mean? Pretty brown eyes. How about that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> I'm saying, and this is 20 yeah. years ago at this point, like yeah. more, more than 20 years ago. More than 20, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and, and just asking a question, what kind of man would I be? Mm, what kind, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, mm. that's, I, we just had Cornel West on the, on, on the show a couple uh, last week. Mm. I got to see, yeah, I saw a preview, I got to get to see that. His whole thing is, you know, very short time between the womb and the tomb, what kind of person are you going to be before you die? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, <laughs> I love voice. You got it, you got it. Voice. Oh, absolutely, no, absolutely, no, no brother Ali. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, the absolute. But brother, though, what do you make, though, brother, of... <laughs> you know, but just like the, to ask that type of question at that particular moment in culture, what kind of man would I be? Not like, can I, can I, you know what I'm saying? Because you're being hit on. Yeah. So it's, it's not a question yeah. of, do I have access right. to women's bodies? Yeah. Can I have all the right. sex I want? What yeah. kind of man would I be? And yeah. you don't answer the question, but the you question in itself is such a, a, a statement. Yeah. You and that's what, what I love about it. It's like, there's, there's not an answer. It's just, it's for it. Each it's for the listener to figure out. That, that's and your dad the, to man. wrestle with that. That's your dad yeah. all day. The question is is enough. You know what I'm saying? The question that unsettles, uh, that 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 unsettles your sleepwalking. To just mm. think about like yes, okay, yeah, you can get nice things, and you're you know you can be an attractive person. You have nice clothes. You can get attention from women. But what kind of person are you going to be? And I guess that that speaks to because that uh, big up and big shout out to Lawrence Waddell, the author that song, just because mm. again the the community mm. at that time, you know, mm. just growing up and just have that kind of uh, that kind of is what was bubbling. So just having this is how powerful one you know people uh, around the community having that influence mm. because you start thinking that way. And it's how we pretty much were thinking, you know. And Lawrence is definitely an intellectual, and you know, has you know pops and has so many you know discussions with them in the whole band it's like pops was always involved in you know trying to you know some of our earlier earlier gigs mm. you know that kind of thing just like, what do you guys he would, he would tease us a lot it's like you guys gonna leave the fight in the gym when you gonna have a week because we would rehearse a lot mm. rehearse in the basement rehearse 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 didn't have a gig we were you know young it's like yeah y'all gonna leave the fight in the gym all this rehearsing when you gonna play <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, having that and spreading that kind of love and just that kind of um, uh, thoughtfulness about mm -hmm. it. So that's how a song like that could absolutely, you know, be born out of that. And so, yeah, man, this is again, uh, that's how powerful, you know, um, these moments are when you mm -hmm. see a, a person who knows something and spreading that knowledge, spreading that energy. You never know how it's going to come out, how it's going to affect. You know, uh, I. Th I think that I'm pretty sure that everybody, all the friends that I had were um, influenced, you know, whether it be, you know, my mom's cooking and, you know, or and getting the word from pops and that kind of thing, even when they didn't want to, there was something that um, was always said that they will always take away. Hmm. You know, some of these people I see to this day, they have families, they're like, man, you know, we were knuckleheads back in the day, but that, having your pops there, hmm. your family just being there. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times was was just that was one thing, and then just having then you leaving you with something to take away and to think about. Whether mm -hmm. you thought about it then, at some point in your life, you know, sooner than later, it snapped you back into that. It's like, oh wow, I remember that. I just experienced this, and this he said this was coming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you have to wrestle with that kind of thing. But uh, you know, it's amazing, so, yeah. especially in that time period. There was just this kind of like trope that we heard so often about like black dads aren't around and. You know what I mean? This uh, this idea yeah. that like you know, right. black families are headed by women and the men are not. My experience mm. was exactly the opposite. Like all of the people yeah. that taught me the 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 things that I tell my children to this day about being responsible and being loving and being there and you know, so when I think about your hearing what you're saying, reminds me of both Chuck D and Rakim. You know mm. that like Rakim was asking him like, how come you never cussed? And it's a similar thing. Like he always spoke the meanest thing he said about a woman in a Rakim song. It's the song where, um, where he samples, I want to win, I want to know what's on your mind. Okay, He's like yeah, trying to yeah. holler at this woman. She turned away, yeah. no play. I said, okay, you don't really look good. I hope you have a bad day. Meanest <laughs> thing he ever said to a woman. On a, this is wild, like NWA, we're having fantasies about killing right. prostitutes and sex workers, and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was wow. asking him about this, and he was I, like, your, your music has always been at this not only high like lyrical level, but also the, the, the content. And he was saying his, his mother was a jazz musician. And he was like, my dad was always, we would make music in the basement and he would be sitting at the top of the steps and he wouldn't come in the session, but he would listen. And I always knew that my father was just present and hearing everything I was saying. So I couldn't say anything wow. that, would, mm, that would dishonor him. Mm. And Chuck the same way. Chuck D the same way. Like his father really? having such a presence in that music. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it, it makes a difference, man. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And just your your ability to 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 remain so firm in what matters to you, and to do mm. it in a way that's so constant and consistent and dignified. Mm. There's something just really. Uh, there's like a certain type of like masculinity that's steady and quiet, you know what I mean? That doesn't mm -hmm. make a big, mm -hmm. doesn't make a big fuss right. about it. You know what I mean? Right. The thing that I loved about what we, what we did and do is um, it would be considered like, well, that ain't, that ain't too strong, you know, for a dude to say it's like, you know, but it showed the vulnerability mm -hmm. of a man. It doesn't make him any less of a man. It just makes him, he's a fully aware of all of his emotions, all of his feelings, you know? And expresses them in a way that most people, or most guys, probably, probably can. But you know, they have this social thing. You know, this this thing that says that if you do this, then you're a little bit softer. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But I think that was that was one of our superpowers. You know what I mean? Being able to say that in that 
certain type of way mm -hmm. and have people get it. You know what I mean? So for you to come in, it's, it's like it's evident. And we say, hey, man, that really struck me, you know, um, how you all really presented that because you don't really hear that, you know, because that's not the popular thing at the moment, you know, mm -hmm. and then that's the thing we kept doing and we would deliver that over and over. We, you know, we really got pretty good at it. So um, in hip hop yeah, at man. that time, there was a cohort. There was like, you know, it was almost like there was a there was a circle of artists that were very clearly intentional about you know, sampling jazz and, and, you know, making sure that the, that the content was, you know, elevating, even if it was mm -hmm. fun, you know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, I know yeah. that uh, we have mutual friend and Ali Shahi Muhammad That's and, right. um, yes. you know, so you have some of the biggest rap groups at that time in the, on the hip hop mm -hmm. side of things were that way, you know, like I said, yeah. Gangstar and Pete Rock and CL Smooth and, and yep. Public Enemy and, and the whole native mm -hmm. tongue thing. So that was like one of the acceptable ways to be in hip hop music. It feels like yeah. That wasn't happening as much in the in the R and B space, though. We were pressured so much to like, y'all yeah, need to have something sexy. But you know, we, at the time, I remember like a song, "So Fine." Mm -hmm. We had a guitar solo, and it. it's like, what, what, what y'all doing with this guitar in this here? It's like, when's the last time you heard guitar? It's like, have you heard of the Isley Brothers? I mean, have you? I'm like, and you know, the, the, that's somebody who's really stuck in. Uh, caring too much about you know enforced trends and styles at the time you know what mm -hmm. i mean and a lot of people are i, I get it to make a buck they got to you know if colgate has their tartar control then crest has to have a tartar control com competition you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i get it but why not try to do something different stay the course you know at some point those folks are going to get tired of everybody sounding the same why not come get you know some original thought you know what i mean and then make that a thing you know, so we were kind of like that. But, you know, of course, people that were worried about profits and loss, mm -hmm. you know, are worried about profits and loss. They're like, we can't be concerned about what y'all thinking and trying to elevate the culture. You know what I mean? I'm being facetious, but, you know, I mean, something that, like that. You it's, know what I mean? it's like yeah. that's like one degree of, of exaggeration. Yeah, right. But I mean, it's basically right, what right. it is. And you think about the yeah. fact that, like, say, like, OK, we're going to have you all are going to be singing and uh, but we're going to take all of the sensitivity out of it. You know mm. what I mean? It's like, what the hell mm. are we doing then? That's the basis of what yeah. we're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so when I came along, it's like uh, rhyming. It's like at a time where it's like, yeah, you're going to stand up here and say words for four straight minutes, but we don't really want any substance. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right. like sing right. without right. any right. sensitivity and, and right. speak without right. substance. And you're just like, supposed to I accept that. Yeah. No. And the whole thing was, we always considered ourselves a healthy alternative for everything. Like I love everything. It's time, when it's time to turn up, I may not want to listen to us. It's like there's a time for everything under the sun. Absolutely. But we're a healthy balance. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like a lot of time, and not like, I think there are a lot of other groups like us, but the thing is, again, dumbing us down as a culture, and that's a whole different, you know, aspect, and a whole different conversation, but there is something to that. So mm -hmm. that is the thing that rises to the top to keep people, you know, on that kind of, that kind of schooling, that kind of mentality. But we just thought we were a healthy admixture to... And otherwise, you know, market that was oversaturated with, you know, some of it was nonsense. It was just, I don't mind nonsense. Sometimes you want some non-thing. I want, you just want some dumb music, but you can't have dumb music all the time. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't be all one thing all the time. We're human beings, so we need that. So it's just, it gets to be too much. So I really felt we were, um, like I said, a healthy admixture. It's like we were the balance, mm -hmm. the antithesis 
uh, to uh, uh, that kind of thinking. You know what I mean? And it, it's not like we, I think it just came natural to us. I'm not saying that like, oh, we're geniuses trying to like, this was natural. Again, we came out of that kind of environment. You know what I mean? So it's not, no, no putting on, no airs. And that, I think that's what resonated and still resonates with people to this day. We are beyond grateful on this podcast to be sponsored and supported by Zakat Foundation. You know, they they really have done so much to help us get this thing off the ground because they believe in the importance of these stories and these conversations and that it's actually related to the humanitarian work that they do around the world. There are, the Zakat Foundation's approach to, hum, to humanitarian work is really rooted in the fullness of humanity in the the full richness of you know what a human being is and and what they deserve you know and the 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 fact that some of us who have enough and most of us have extra even though we might not recognize that to be the case that it's really an honor for us to be able to share and contribute to the to people who are not in the same who don't find themselves in the same circumstances that we're in and it really is something that's really humanizing for us to be able to do that zakat foundation operates in every region of the world all around the globe in you know central and south america and north america in africa and asia and the middle east um in you know in eastern europe all throughout the world working with communities on what they need most and so we've talked in the past a lot about their project to support orphans because it's really groundbreaking but they do amazing work with providing safe water for people people that are experiencing you know food insecurity people uh, that that need help and resources in the way of education and all of the the things that human beings need to live out fully human lives and so Zakat Foundation does incredible work all over the world. Um, Ramadan is coming up, so for the Muslims, it's a time when we really increase, expand upon our giving. But it's a Muslim-led organization that doesn't only serve Muslims and they don't proselytize. Both of those are extremely important points to me. They also have people on the ground to ensure quality control and to ensure that the, that the resources actually get to the people that they're meant for and that it's done in a way that's full of dignity and respect and honor and love and care and concern and actually gratitude on behalf of the giver. It's like we need to be deeply grateful for the fact that we're allowed to do this. Um, and so Zakat Foundation is just really incredible and the work that they do is really incredible. I only stand with these organizations if if I'm able to have real talk with the people who make decisions. Because so many times there's so many organizations that want to do good and they end up doing harm. That happens a lot. We're human, we live in the world. But what I found is that with some people, if they make a mistake or if they go off the rails or if they fall short of what they intend to do, you try to talk to them and they shut you out. You try to tell the truth. You try to ask important questions and they start protecting their funding and their reputation and all this stuff. And they, they, you become a pariah. And I've become a pariah in several spaces because it's like, wait a minute, we're hurting people. What's going on? You know what I mean? Wait, though, this isn't what we said we were going to do. And they're like, okay, but you need to be quiet because you're going to mess this up. It's like, no. Let's at, let's if, if we're sincere about this work, we can have these conversations and we can actually address what's going right and what's going wrong. Uh, 
Amna Mirza, who is one of the amazing leaders at Zakat Foundation, is somebody I met because I was in, we were both uh, met at working with a different organization in the Muslim community. And I was expressing to her that like, hey, this is not, this is not okay with, you know, it was their treatment of artists. And me as an artist who most of my support is not in the Muslim community, I can speak up in those situations because if they uninvite me, I just go back to rocking a hard rock hotel, which I'm doing tonight in, in Lake Tahoe and, you know, playing where I play. But for these artists that perform mostly for the Muslim community, they can't necessarily do that. So I'm in a situation where I have to say something. And so I had a conversation like this with my sister Amna, and her response let me know that like, no, this is a sincere person that's here for the work, that's here to actually do good and to, to have a positive impact and to leave things better than she found them. So that was my introduction to my sister Amna. And in working with her and talking with her and hearing the questions that she's asked and the changes that she's ushered in, um, along with the, you know, Zakat Foundation had a great reputation before her. And so, and that's why I think they chose her and they're building upon that. So I am, I feel very good about giving my money to Zakat Foundation, about partnering with them, about sharing my platform with them. And I'm really grateful that they're so supportive of this podcast. So head to Zakat US, Z-A-K-A-T-U-S. Follow them on social media. You can also go to their website um, and just check out all of the amazing work that they do. And just look at it with the idea of like, is there something here that speaks to me where I can put some paint where it ain't, where I can add some of the abundance that I've been able to, whether it's a little bit or a lot, it all adds up and it all goes a long way to help people and to also help us become our best selves. Zakat Foundation. I'm really honored and grateful and excited to be partnering with my dear friend and somebody that I consider to be a mentor and a healer, Resma Menikin. Resma is a therapist and an educator based out of the Twin Cities. He is a therapist that is really well-versed in a lot of things, but his focus is on trauma and the way that trauma interacts with our bodies and the way that our bodies start to respond to one another. He did amazing work supporting troops in Afghanistan. Um, Resma is a New York Times bestselling author. He has an amazing book called My Grandmother's Hands that talks about racialized trauma and it even provides uh, exercises that people can do to just become more aware of what's happening in our bodies around the, the supercharged nature of race. Uh, and he talks to black bodies, white bodies, and he also talks to about and to people in law enforcement and the, the relationships that we have with each other based on generations of experiences that we've had. Uh, Resma is someone that I've seen as a client, as a patient. My son and I saw him together, and then I, I also did some sessions with Resma myself. Um, but he offers something to the conversation about race and about America as a whole that is missing. It's very unique, and I feel like his perspective is really, really needed. And so I'm just really grateful to be partnering with him. Resma has a new book coming out on April the 12th called The Quaking of America, and it's an embodied guide to dealing with the racial situation that we find ourselves in, um, you know, to trying to avoid, you know, the the impending doom, you know, the gulf that's the, the divide that's happening, to try to help heal that, and then also to survive uh, the the fracturing that does happen. So this is something that Resma is offering in a spirit of loving healing, but also in deep truth telling. 
and his advice, his witness, his expertise. And he actually is, is really important, but he gives really valuable solutions that are not easy and they're not sexy and they're not quick, they're not fast. But I believe in that what he's offering to this conversation is is profoundly important. He's been on Dr. Phil. He's been on Oprah. He's been on The Breakfast Club. Uh, Charlemagne the God had him on his show called The God's Honest Truth. And we're really happy. And we're looking forward to having Resma on this podcast. And want you to go to resma.com, R-E-S-M-A-A.com. Pre-order the book. Read it. Check it out. He's got seminars. He's got workshops. Follow him on social media. Really happy and honored to be partnering with Resma Minikin. One of the many things that I love so much about the journey I've been able to have as a musician, as a speaker, as a learner, as an educator, as a community organizer and activist, uh, you know, so much of it is really the beauty of creating community around authentic messaging and around authentic work, you know. It's really beautiful to me that I've never been beholden to somebody whose money is first. First, to somebody who is like, we have to hit the lowest common denominator to raise the bottom line. You know, the, the dollar is king. I've never had to be in a situation like that. And not only does that make me free, but it also creates community around what we're saying. Because I get to say things that aren't popular. I get to say things that don't make me look cool or make me look like a hero. I get to talk about things that aren't going to be supported by big by corporations who have to look at dollars first, that have to look at numbers first. I've always been in situations where quality can be king instead of quantity. And it's really important to me. And that brings about community because people hear and see reflections of themselves. Not that everybody that listens to me are, are half-blind Muslim albinos, but like people hear like, oh, this is a person that's really exploring himself and expressing himself. And I'm hearing that some of my secrets aren't unique to me. As a listener, some of my secrets, this, the guy on the stage feels the same way and everybody's clapping and cheering and crying and singing along and dancing with me. And that's beautiful. That's the greatest gift of all. I wouldn't trade anything for that. So part of what allows that to be the case is uh, that we have an outlet for that. And so brotheradi.com, my website, uh, you know, is the outlet for that. So you can go there, you can see all the information on our upcoming events, all the information about podcasting. Uh, also in that we have uh, merchandise offerings there too. We have a super dope Uncle Sam goddamn jacket. Ill, my favorite thing I've ever made. I don't think it's on the website yet, but it'll be up there soon. We're selling it only at the merch table on the tour right now, but keep an eye out for that. But we also have a section called Join, which is essentially about a caravan where we uh, invite people to support and then also um, engage in ways that, you know, we put this podcast up for free. We put our music up for free. Anybody can stream it for free wherever they are. But for people that really want to engage on a deeper level, we offer options for that. So there are different kind of like levels and, and ways to engage. The the uppermost tier of that um, actually gives people access and invites them into a private Slack channel where not only do I go in there and record voice notes and give updates and share, and I share stuff here that like I already talk too much on this podcast. It's really about the guests. But being able to share so much is a beautiful thing in that space. But then also the people that are involved in that, you know, trailblazers aspect of our caravan is like people 
are really building community. People are supporting each other and hearing what people are going through. And it's a slow process. You know, there's a, a ancient proverb that they just say African, but Africa's huge. What part of Africa? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So the group work is not fast work, but it's really sustainable and it really feeds the wholeness of who we are. So go to brotherali.com, check out the shows, check out the merch offerings, check out the music, check out the podcast. Uh, there's also a section there if you want to, you know, ask, like request uh, an interview, a speaking engagement, uh, if you want to, if you want me to supply beats for what you're doing or, or ask for a verse, there's ways to, to inquire about all that stuff. If you go to the booking section, um, and then, but the part that I really want to convey the most is the caravan, the section called join. So head to brotherali.com and get down with this movement. When there's always this feeling that like, that like mint condition, like you all had huge, like within the black community and anybody that loves black music, like these are enormous records that defined moments, the same as anybody else. But there's always this idea that mint never crossed over. And mm. to me, what that always felt like is... I mean, by crossover, they mean like appeal to white people. Right, and right. because of the way that things have been set up and arranged, there's like only certain ways that white people in mass, you know, there's like white people that listen to black music and, you know, as that's their, that's their thing. Uh, right. And actually everyone's listening to black music, but they actually listen to it played by black people. <laughs> right. <laughs> that yeah. hasn't been stolen yeah. And, re yeah. and like refiltered. Yeah, it's everywhere. You can't, you know, hip hop is every, as you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's not an American music form that's not that's not a black that's music right. form. There's that's just right. literally not wow. one. Uh, so, you know, but this idea that like in order to cross over, there are only certain ways to be black. There are so only certain ways that that the white mainstream structure as a as a big a large conglomerate will accept black men to be or black 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 men and women to be. And so, like, mm -hmm. if you're not one of those if you don't fit in one of those frameworks, then it's just like, yeah, we don't really know what to do with you. And I wonder, like, right. part of the ability to stay the course, mm -hmm. how much of that was having uh, Jimmy and Terry, like, on your side? Uh, really? I think, again, it was an extension of our community, because Jimmy and Terry are from South and North Side. Mm -hmm. You know, they're around, you talk about people like Spike Moss mm -hmm. and, um, you know, The Way, and they were, you know, students, you know, and who became mentors themselves, you know? So again, I think it was all of our environment and I think what they saw, you know, Sounds of Blackness. Mm -hmm. You know, the Sounds of Blackness, that name, you know, I, I believe as the story goes, was uh, inspired, the name was inspired by Pops. You know, Pops was, you know, Tudor, McAllister, Mc, uh, Gary Hines, director of Sounds of Blackness, McAllister alumni. And um, yeah, there was something he said, I don't know if it was in the speech or, during, and there was something he said, Sounds of Blackness, and I think they, that inspired the group's name. Uh, Amazing. I didn't even know if you knew that little fun fact, but no, that's yeah, amazing. It, I, I think it's just that. more so the environment. So um, I think, you know, the signing of, you know, meant to Flight Time uh, Perspective Records is um, they saw in us what they saw in themselves, you know, coming mm -hmm. from a band. Because, you know, we talk, you talked about earlier about, you know, um, singing groups. And I think if you look back the 60s, Temptations, that kind of thing. Well, there was an explosion of bands in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Brass Construction, Ohio Players, Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, I mean, this goes on even from Rock Journey, you know, uh, uh, so many different bands. I mean, horn bands, big bands, Cameo. Mm -hmm. This is what we saw. So Tower we're power. 70s kids growing up. It's like, oh, wow, Tower Power, all these groups, man. 
wow, all this energy is amazing. Sly and the Family Stone. Mm-hmm. You know, James Brown had a band. You know, it was just it was just a thing. So we were inspired to do that. And then seeing, you know, folks like, you know, when Prince was brewing around here, you know, doing his stuff locally, so that was somebody we actually, actually saw, mm-hmm. you know, and seen him develop and become what he became. And whew, how explosive is that? I mean, you got people from your backyard. So I think Jimmy and Terry were a part of that, all of that energy, mm-hmm. you know, so by the time we signed with Perspective, you know, they saw themselves in us and they were like, you know, whatever y'all want to do, because we were thinking that they would have, you know, just their thumb on everything, you know, but that was their genius. It's like, you know, we know what you can do. We're going to sign people who really know what they're doing, mm. you know, or think if they don't have it all together, we can see that they have potential and they're going to grow and figure it out. And I think that's what they saw in us. They came to a show. We had a showcase of First Avenue and first song we used to sing back then. We used to open with Pretty Brown Eyes back then. It's an old song. Mm. We used to do it mm. like way back then. You, you know? said that was on the demo. And we would, and we would people... start off the show. Uh, wow. Did it always start with the synth horn joint? Yeah, yeah, we still, yeah, because that's the thing. We get people's attention. It's, there's no song. We're like, bah, bah. what the hell? They drop the drink. What's that? What is going on? You know, just out of nowhere. And, uh, but it, get, it would get people's attention. It was like, oh, man, that's, uh, we got to keep that. And um, they said from the first note, yeah, y'all got a deal, man. But, and so speaking with them, they were like, what do y'all want to do? It's like, well, we would love to produce our own albums. We think we would know how to do that. You know, we were in school and have, have some experience with studio work and that kind of thing. And they were like, well, I said, well we, would like, we would like to at least produce half the album. But they're like, you can do the whole damn thing if you want. Amazing. We were like, wow. So and it's it was Jimmy just Jim allowing and Terry us, Lewis. Yeah. And this is not like SOS band Jimmy and Terry. This is like Janet Jackson, Jimmy and Terry. <sighs> this is all, all of it, mainly encompass. I mean, they are just amazing human beings that's that's i mean i tell them to this day it's like man this is you all are such a gift man you know to to the community the music community of course here but i mean to the world the world what they've given the world Mm -hmm. you know and what i love about them just just as men as human beings man it's just i just i love being around it's just always you know something something to learn you know at this point it's funny that they i won't say they learn things about themselves but i think they do through other people because mm. seeing themselves through other people's eyes, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't know we affected you like that or anybody like, you know, because you just never know what somebody's going through in their life, you know. But they let us do our thing, man. And I think that was the brilliance of it, to let us grow and explore and discover, you know. And then uh, what they were to us, we became to other people, mm-hmm. you know. It's what, you know, the music now, after Pretty Brown Eyes, now 30 years late, something like that is, you know, TikTok crazy, going nuts. Right now, you know, it's 800 and something, almost a billion views. Oh, you know? Somebody took that and, you know, sped it up and, you know, they have all these memes and everything. Yeah, I don't know if you checked it out, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a gift. it just keeps rolling, man, you know. And then, they, they, so gift. that's the first song that grabbed them, but that song was on your demo tape that you sent to all yes. of the labels and everybody was like, I don't hear a hit. And then after it blew yeah. up, after somebody believed in you, they're like, well, if that song would have been on the demo, we would have signed you. But the song was yeah, on you the- remember I was telling you? That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it was on the demo. You got a good memory, man. <laughs> that's true. So if that would have been on there for, uh, it was on there. Mm-hmm. Had, as a matter of fact, the four songs that we had on the demo are on the, on the first album. You know, one was Are You Free? One was, uh, I think, Do You Want It? And the other one was uh, Pretty Brown Eyes and, uh, a song called Out of Time, Out of Mind. Hmm. 
Yeah, those four are, are on the Fresh album, yeah. But not only did they see the vision, but they also really had almost like a Motown style of like artist development. Because you think about like yeah. how diverse the label was, like, so you got Sounds mm -hmm. of Blackness, Mint Condition, but then also Crush, King's English, Low Key. Yeah, low Key. Low key. Yeah, I mean. It's uh, like, it's, it's really, yeah. like there's yeah. no two groups that are the same in that in that thing. that's true mm -hmm. they were well they were using motown as a model for sure mm. you know i could see that you know just with because uh, we had uh definitely they went the the music um what is it when we had the um the publicists come in you know just kind of a mock uh interview training sessions that kind of thing how to give an interview that kind of thing um uh, we would kind of just do our own choreography that kind of thing but you know they had spaces to do all that stuff there so it was definitely modeled after that whole thing. They wanted us to be, <clears throat> one of the things they said to us very early is like, yeah, we want, we want you to be great musicians, that's great, but to also be good businessmen. You know, they always took care of business and we learned through watching them, mm -hmm. you know, their successes and you know, later on finding out some of the things that didn't make it and what they did to you know, overcome it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If they had mm -hmm. some, some trials and some challenges, you know, and, but you would never know. You know, because that's that's the whole thing about it. It's supposed to, you know, water off a duck's back kind of thing, you know, and you just keep moving. You know, so that was an example of like, you know, they say failure teaches you the most. Mm. Um, looking at, you know, uh, things that didn't make it big or there's certain songs or something kind of thing. No, you keep going, man. They just wrote so much. And it's like, you know, you just got to be relentless with it. You know, you're a prolific cat. I mean, that's everything can't be top five or top 10, top 20, but... You know, I, I take the, um, I liken my thinking to what Prince once said. It's like, look, man, because it's true. You can't really control once it's outside of your body, which I consider success. Once it's out of me and I get it out, it's successful. Mm. You don't know what the promotion, marketing, and with all the manipulation that you can do, radio, you just don't know how it's going to affect somebody and what it's going to make them feel like. Will they gonna, are they going to want to taste that chick, piece of chicken again? Mm -hmm. Do they have that right kind of aftertaste you know what i mean i feel like that about the music it's like it, it might leave wrong taste in the mouth mm. you know what I mean? or sound in their ear some it's not make, gonna make you want to come back for some reason well not for some reason i think it was just very um calculated that we learned how to do that to make you come back wanting more you know but we weren't for sure mm -hmm. at the same time it's like we you can practice so much and have these patterns like here's what makes success but you still don't know mm -hmm. so for me again it's just like once it's out it's successful that's the and success then, you know that's the success you the fact I mean? that like you you have this thing inside it that that the divine has given you as a gift and you have to yeah. nurture it you have to develop it you have to serve it and then once you offer it to the world like that is the success absolutely, absolutely. that's incredible man yeah. like that's such a and um, not to say that because some people be like oh that's bullshit you got to make some money out here yeah that's true there's a time and place for everything sure you know and of course um, uh, money makes, it's not everything, but it makes things a lot easier. It's accessible. It makes you, you can, it's, you have some financial, you have some, a certain amount of freedom mm -hmm. that comes along with that. So that's great too, if you can get to that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying from a totally artistic mm -hmm. and you, it gives you some psychic rewards and you, know, you feel good in your soul. And it keeps you, you sane. Know? Like that's the thing yeah. that's going to sustain somebody's sanity for the long haul. You know what yeah. I mean? Because like, if I, you know, I think about like, so you all's first like three records were like smash records. And then the mm -hmm. fourth one, which is a dope album, didn't have the mm -hmm. same type of response. Mm -hmm. And then it, it seemed was, like- uh, Life's Aquarium, was that? Yeah, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it seemed like it was never quite the same as what it was during that time mm -hmm. period. And so, mm -hmm. if if your if your gauge of how, your value and your worth as a creative, as an artist, as a person is related to that outward success, you would almost think that like my best days are behind me. What's the purpose right. of still going on? Oh man. Whereas like some of the most amazing music you've made is on your new record. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's um like all the independent stuff we did after. That's interesting because we were at Electra Records, the biggest deal we had had at the mm -hmm. time, and um, some amazing music, I thought. But uh, the business was changing as well. MP3s were coming in, you know, which is a precursor to all the streaming and stuff that we see now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just different ways to do music, and things were changing a little bit. The touring was a little bit different at that point. Um, the budgets were a little, they were changing you know, some of the inflated budgets that we used to have. It was just, you know, some things were being shut. And one huge thing uh, I think happened too is like um, when people see bands, especially when we talk about live, they're like, ah, they see, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of money. You know what I mean? Because it's like, but they don't think it's worth it. But the thing is, we've, we've never been a hard sell. As soon as they see it, they're like, oh, we get it. Right. And that's all we've ever wanted, just a, a spot, a shot to be like, once you see it, which is what it's all about, live entertainment, right. live presentation, make you feel something you're going to yes. leave that room feeling differently than what you came in and you're so, not going to get that man. feeling somewhere else you're not going to get that going to a movie you're not going to get right. it seeing a basketball game you're going to yeah. there's a yeah. specific feeling that you're going to yeah. get at a mint condition show yeah. and you can't get absolutely. it anywhere else and because of that we need what we need in order to make it happen absolutely yeah absolutely so they got it after and it's, it's the same with what i do now on, even on the solo tip which is is um uh, still live presentation, and it's just like, you know, there's nothing like that, having that live interaction, seeing that person on the guitar do his thing, or, you know, and, you know, just anything. It's like when you go and they see you, and they see it, I want to see the DJ cutting and scratching that kind. I, mean, I used to love that when I used to be B-Boy back in the day, and that, it's like that part of it is just, it's everything, it's that interaction, that, mm -hmm. you know, it's that soul connectivity again, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, when you think about like the DJ specifically and, you know, when, when we were talking earlier about the you as a drummer, understanding where all of the pieces fit and then also having the ability to vocalize and to, to it really mm. made me think about Dilla. Like they, they got all these books mm. now about Dilla. Mm. There's, or, uh, there's a book specifically called Dilla Time. And I was just thinking about the fact that Dilla had the ability to, you know, first of all, change rhythm, the way that rhythm is understood, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. could arrange all of the music and, and everything in the music had its own place, these different elements from records and, and things like that. But then also he vocalized on top of it, you know what I mean? Right. And, and was really able to lock what he was saying into the, the rhythm of the whole thing. It's just like one human being being the, an entire composer. It's like, did Quincy do that? Did Quincy also sing on his records? Right. I right. mean, all, right. all love to Quincy, greatest, greatest probably that ever did it. But yeah. But Quincy yeah. didn't do what Dilla did. You know, there, there's no, something I mean, very specific about that ability to, 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 to coordinate the yeah. whole joint and perform it. It is. And, and it, you know what? He's the Quincy of his generation for mm -hmm. that. Because why, why I say that is because nobody did what Quincy did at that time. Either. It's like, wow, he's not only this, this, this great arranger worker, but he played back in the day. I mean, he knows all these parts and has the ability to bring all these things together in the way that he did at mm -hmm. that time mm -hmm. and change whatever he did at that moment. So Dilla, the same thing. What Dilla did for me is, and for a lot of drummers, he brought forth and made popular 
to me, mm-hmm. um, the things that we were in our head, the things that we play with time down, and the drummer knows what I'm talking about, just the most backwards fucked up rhythm we, we, we'd always be trying. You know, me and Chris talk about this, and Chris, Daddy Dave, all the time about And we would be, I'd spend a lot of time, used to live with me, and we would spend all day just, just backwards, forwards, you know, how he used to have this thing Chris did on his um, uh, phone, his outgoing message, where he would play like a tape was rewinding. You know, it's like leave a mess and he played a beat. Oh, rewind. We can play backwards. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> Dilla was the first person I heard is like to really make that whole thing popular and put it orchestrated in the way of like what you're talking about. You know, just the whole swing straight. You know, drummers would play with that thing, but he brought it together in a way on an MPC yeah, on, and put on it a, together in a way where it was just like on a machine. Oh, my Lord. Oh man, I mean, nobody's done that and just mm-hmm. changed the whole situation. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. where it became a standard. You hear stuff like, you know, D'Angelo when that first came up. It's like, wow, what is this? The chicken grease, the claps on that chicken grease. Like, yeah, man. What is, what? yeah. Yeah, all of that. You know, so I mean, it, it's just amazing. So again, that is the, the culture rolling forward because if you remember like the early 90s, the whole. Uh, uh, you know, Teddy Riley's thing with mm-hmm. the uh, New Jack Swing. Mm-hmm. The swing came in. The swing was real heavy, mm-hmm. you know, and that reminds me of the bebop days where if you wasn't swinging, you wasn't mm-hmm. saying it. I mean, just not, if you ain't, ain't, don't mean to think of anything that swing, mm-hmm. you know, that no true, no truer words, you know what I mean? Dilla was still swinging, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So carrying that thread is rolling through all of us, man. And sometimes we don't even know it. And again, for me, Rhythmically, I've always put those things together. Like I can see it's like, is that a three-two clave or two-three clave? Like when I'm listening to some Jay-Z or something like that. It's so simple, the rhythms. When I listen to like a Dilla or a Jay-Z or anything or a gang star, it's like these threads are running through mm-hmm. and we don't even know it. And it's beautiful. I, I like that because that's just God in the room at that point. It's just right. like the, the 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 culture is so strong without if without us even knowing that. When I got a chance to go to Ghana in June. I made some more connections like that. I'm like, oh, wow, I get it. Mm. This is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is an amazing to see the pulse of it. Mm-hmm. Just the little nuances. You know what I mean? I'm like, why? I was like, oh, that's why we do that. That's, oh, man, this is it's really amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and then man. you see it in its healthy yeah. form before it was tampered with and stolen. And yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I, yeah. So I, me, I go to the Gambia. That's like my, it, just like mm. right in the middle of Senegal. I have a, my my main wow. like sheikh lives in Gambia. So I I go I try to go there every year. And wow. one night we went to this all night. He knew I would want to go. He was just like Brazari, we go go we go go to you know we go to see some culture tonight. I'm like all right, cool. So we go to the <laughs> joint and. Like the, it's this big outdoor gathering, and there are several great like religious teachers speaking, and so they'd be up on the mic, and they're talking, and there's this like big, and it's like two o'clock in the morning, like it's all it's an all night thing, and if the sheikh stops for a second, like he's clearly in the middle of a thought, but if he stopped for a second, like this this blind man stood up, and started singing. And he's like singing about the sheikh and he's singing about the prophet Muhammad and all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, this is ill. And so my sheikh is just looking at me. He was like, cause he knew I was going to want to see it. And he was like, you like this? I'm like, yeah. But like wow. women came up and they had wow. like these satin bags full of cash and they're like throwing yeah. it at him. And he's got like his son or some like youth is, is there with him, picking it up, putting him in it in his pocket. And they're like throwing money at him. I'm just like, oh, this is, this is, 
ill. Like this is how this man lives. Wow. You know what I mean? And wow. so then he finishes his thing and he sits down and then the sheikh just picks up speaking again. Like there's no, he's not like, well, mm. that was a trip. You know what I mean? He's just like, okay. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, member safety counts you. <laughs> like continue doing his thing. Then he stops again for a wow. second and somebody else stands up. And then he starts singing, but he's doing a different, a different, you know, different vibe. And people come up and throw money and they're throwing money differently depending on how it's making him feel or how it's making them wow. feel or what he's talking wow. about. And they wow. have like they clearly brought these like sacks of money to throw at, okay, you know, yeah. and the way that they throw it and the, 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 the manner in which they and these are women throwing mm. money at men. And it just made me think wow. about the whole making it rain phenomenon right. and how just you know how, how it changes when it you know what i'm saying after it's been co-opted and switched True. up but and, and, and go, ahead, go ahead but it also made me think about didn't you used to didn't prince used to come to your gigs when you'd be gigging in town and, and throw <laughs> throw hundreds at you <laughs> you're like you and Chappelle go to the same memory school man oh man <laughs> like yeah he um there was this place called uh, jasmine's downtown we used to go there and play i used to play with this group some friends of mine um called Conversation Piece, you know, shout out to uh, some of the fellas. Um, yeah, we uh, were down there rocking, man, and uh, uh, they were saying, you know, Prince is going to come down. I was like, cool, yeah. Yeah, Stokely playing tonight. Yeah, he's playing on it, come on, okay, cool. He's down there. Um, I knew he was somewhere in the room, but I was, whatever, I started singing and playing, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the song was, I can't remember. And um, next thing you know, I start getting these in my head I'm like what is going on what who's throwing stuff i look over man i look down i was like oh that's money i look like a hundred dollar bill he's over there like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> i'm like what who is over there <laughs> acting a fool over there you know i was like wow okay i appreciate it man you know i mean you was, kept that it was or, a, or, i mean what? oh yeah he was like no it was crumbled up hundred dollar bills i'm like yeah i was like appreciate it <laughs> Thank you, man. I take it. I use that to rent, you know, for some gas money. <laughs> Didn't Morris start yeah, out as yeah. a drummer before he was a front man? Yes. Funky. Uh, oh, my goodness. He's, yeah. uh, and I, I hear him speak about it, not because I always wondered, I didn't hear him a lot, but he's on a lot of those recordings. And mm -hmm. his, um, the guy he would listen to is the guy from Tower of Power, you know, who was amazing, just cutting up them beats like that. You know, it was songs like Squib Cakes, you know, uh, mm -hmm. just, just, oh my Lord, just goes on and on, man. This dude was amazing. Um, it's just escaping my, his, his name is escaping me right now. But yeah, um, he was, uh, he was like that, man. He's like, like cutting up the beats like that, you know. I was privy to hear a lot of their demos, you know, around earlier before. Like old time everything demos? really started. What's that? Old time demos? Oh, time demos, yeah, okay. from you know the time and some of the Prince stuff, you know, uh, board Prince demos, and, okay, yeah, Prince demos and, and some of the time stuff, and a lot of it was um, was Morris playing, and just killing it, yeah, man. I think he plays when he goes out. Now he started playing. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen like clips on like YouTube. I was like, okay, he's getting back on and hitting it, yeah. But he plays, you know. I mean, cats like that. It's just this is the people who I had here that were local that we saw. Hmm. growing up in these different little bands man and um, jelly bean johnson jelly bean you know all of them man jimmy terry jelly bean and then when jesse johnson got here he was a crazy sensation from rock rock island illinois i think from rock island 
shredding on guitar, just like this super, super, just, I mean, all this talent, man, you know, and Prince spread, spread so much. He did so much, hmm. so well hmm. for so long, hmm. for so many, you know what I mean? Who has a legacy like that, you know? I, I had, had, had the um, great fortune of um, my man from uh, Ray, uh, Ray Parker from radio. Uh, Ray Parker, he's a great guitar player. Played on many songs that you probably don't even know. Mm. Um, that you've from the heard, band Radio R A Y D I L. Yeah, from the band. Okay. Right, exactly. Yes, um, he'd tell me. He would tell me that um, almost for a lot of projects, Prince would call. He said Prince would call me after he's done with the record just to hear everything. Now back in the day, he was doing the same thing, but he had all these songs, and he didn't understand why Prince had all these songs. Like what? Why you got as a man? All you need is ten songs, and that's it. You know. <laughs> And he said, little did he know, because all those songs were, weren't for him, I guess. You know, he was talking about Vanity Six, mm -hmm. The Time, you know, all these you know, ideas that he had, Apollonia, uh, and his movie. You know? You know, Ray was like, I little did I know that I, I was dealing with a genius over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they all had places. They had, all those songs, a lot of them had found spaces you know, and places uh, to, to live. And now look what it's had. He's created this great legacy this great story this great journey that he had man that we're all pretty much a part of you know in one way or, or another you know around here in minneapolis and around the world it's like i i see so much influence you know and mm -hmm. uh people don't even know it's like we've created all these spaces man from you know you bring it back to africa we don't even we're not i'm just seeing all these connections i'm just real sensitive to it to figure out where things are coming on what's influencing what and mm -hmm. Yes, it becomes very blurry, but the fact that it's happening is, is a beautiful thing to see, you know, especially when we don't know it. Because to me, that, that's God in the room speaking through something you can't see, you can't hear, but you feel it. And mm -hmm. it's the most powerful thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Be like, surprise, I created all of this. And to, and to, and to God, it's all one. God is one and his creation yeah, it, is one. Right, right. So he's like, like, ah. The same way the prince body of work is one. These are all my creations. It's one. Absolutely. I'm expressing myself right. in this way here. I'm expressing myself in this way here. And the same is true with and the creator. Crazy. And some might be in conflict with one another. That's right. And as part, and you sometimes know. it's intentional. It's intentional. You yeah, know, it's, exactly. like Prince is seen as somebody who, you know, there, there's so much mystique around him. And like, it seemed like he had a, he, he loved to be in control of things, you know. Oh. Um, <laughs> and it's even, but one of the things that was really beautiful to me is I heard you in an interview talking about him sharing with you like really difficult moments for him. Like he, I think you were saying that he told you about being on that Rolling Stones tour before he was known oh. and being booed yeah. and that Mick ja that he wanted to quit. Yeah. And that Mick Jagger yeah, had to come yeah. and tell him, like, no, you can't quit. You have to do it. Yeah, like, these people yeah. are just wrong. Like, you just, so, yeah. like, you know, Mick Jagger mentoring him, recognizing, like, yo, you're a genius. You're about to change the world. These people just, yeah. it's not, they don't understand. But then for him to share that with you is a really amazing yeah, I, thing, man. Like, it, it, like, with, it's one thing to inspire people. Like, that's really very important to do. But mm -hmm. also to see the difficult times that people go through and how they weather those storms. Yeah. You know, because those are coming. That had to be, can you imagine, I mean, one of the biggest rock groups ever, mm -hmm. you're opening mm -hmm. and you get booed. And I've also heard this, this um, story from the perspective of the revolution, which is, and it all lines up. I'm like, that's so crazy. Mm. You know, getting, I mean, it was just 
can you imagine the pressure? Well, I mean, I can imagine how that felt, man. I was like, how does that? He's like, my manager told, told me to go home. I can see I was done. <laughs> like, wow. And he's told this story before, but he actually personally told me. I was like, which I was, at the time, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't heard the story like that. Mm. And uh, I, just from the press, like he got booed, but that's all I knew. I didn't know what happened, how he felt, you know, what they were playing, you know. I just thought, man, he's sharing that with me, which is a really special moment. That's, you know, I just, for me, I took it as, as such. And I'm like, man, that's, that's great. Thank you mm. for sharing that. But I think just to give me some uplift to say, you know, whatever you're going through, mm -hmm. um, I took it as, a, I don't know. To me, I was like, I, I don't know if it was bad as that, <laughs> you know, and I hope it never would be because that's a pretty huge platform. But well, he's like, going to do everything a little bigger than larger than the rest of us are. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, even his I mean, even yeah. his head bump moments, he's going to. Right. It's going to be pretty. Yeah, it's going to be Prince level. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that right there is just like, OK, mm -hmm. basically, it's just another example of like, keep going. I don't care what it is. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, you know, after a while, he's like, man, you can't. And I heard you say that. The likes to control stuff. I heard that's an understatement. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it seemed like that, you know, and I think a person can only get that far and be that detailed by being, can, you know, having that controlling nature. Um, but at the same time, he was very giving mm -hmm. from what I see. You know, I know with Mint and myself, he's very generous. Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, we really started, you know, frequenting, you know, uh, in Paisley and just hanging out with him and, or him inviting us to do shows at the Forum or over in France or wherever, you know, we were you available. You were in the like, musicology record. Yes, yeah, call my name on that one, yeah. It's yeah, dope. that was it's fun. So that was that was a fun moment too, just the whole recording, you know, going out to, um, uh, we're not, you know, Paisley to do it. It's like, oh, what are you guys doing? And we just got together and, you know, Kip Blackshire and uh, Chance Howard, you know, and myself sing the background along with him. It's like, this is great. There was one part in the song, it's like, we were locking so tight, all three of us. He's like, he said something to the effect of like, somebody has to mess up. It's, it's too perfect. Allah, you guys, it's harmony. Allah, <laughs> you know? And uh, it was just like, we're like, okay, we know what to do. We know how to get the waves going, which is, you know. To, you, had, you had to like, uh, yeah, affect it. you had to nudge your vibrato a little bit. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live, you know, like, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, because he was like, uh, at the time, he was like, no Pro Tools here, baby. We singing them all down. Wow. <laughs> I was like, all right. Dope. So that was a be beautiful just to see and have that experience with them. And then going out to Los Angeles and doing the, uh, the video was fun too. Mm. You know, picking out clothes. And then I remember being in the, um, by the trailers outside, we were you know, just getting ready to, you know, uh, go into the, the sound stage, whatever. And we're sitting out there talking, jib jabbing. And at the time, uh, it was um, uh, Dave Chappelle's show. Mm. The Rick James thing and that whole thing, mm -hmm. and they talk about the Prince thing, and so they were talking about the, the basketball, you know, scene and everything. <laughs> and so we're sitting there, me and Kip messing around, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like blah 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 blah, talking about the whole scene, laughing whatnot. And all of a sudden, I look back, he's there, he's like, it's true. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he just like I was appeared. Like, Where did you come from? First of all, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but he was like, it's true. It's like, all right. But yeah, that was fun, man. And um, yeah, he had a great time shooting that. And at the time, he, after that, he said, you want to go see a movie? I was like, yeah. He said, we're all going to go see a movie over at sound, uh, Sony Soundstage. It's the, uh, the new Jamie Foxx movie. So we premiered, premiered the Ray movie <laughs> there. And we got down, he's like, man, that brother had all his mastery. You know, <laughs> all his masters. I'm like, you know, 
uh, and I was like, man, this is Oscar worthy right mm. after that. Mm. And it was just, so all those connections, I remember then, you know, Jamie went on to go win the Oscar and everything, but just having some of those moments with him are great. And especially the ones where he would just, you know, a few times, you know, called me out just, uh, just to talk a rap, you know, what's, what's next for me, what's next for the group, that kind of thing. Yeah. Those moments yeah. are what I most cherish. If you, you know, could trade yeah. the, the success level, and you're somebody that's had tremendous success. A lot of the people that I'm friends with are people who don't never get, you know, like I'm friends with Farrell Munch. And I'm always just mm, like, okay, mm-hmm. I have no disrespect for Eminem whatsoever. But everything that mm. people say about Eminem to me, that's how I feel about Farrell Munch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, you know, yeah. all of these people that yeah. like, I was friends with MF Doom. And like everything that mm. people say about certain people, it's like, yeah, you're, yeah, your man's nice, but like, my dude, it's like MF Doom, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. Tra- and, and, you know, wow. and I'm, I'm quite good at what I do, but it's like, I mm-hmm. wouldn't trade Absolutely. the success of anybody. I would not trade in for the relationship that I have with you and Chuck D and Rakim and like, n- not for anything. No. Like though, no. just that type of camaraderie and like brotherhood to have yeah, that man. level of brotherhood and just, you know, connection with those people. It's like, man, I wouldn't that's trade so space with anybody in the world. It's so wealthy to mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? That, that's what I call soul wealthy, mm-hmm. you know? you know, soul rich. And it's, there's, there's that right there is like, um, you know, winning a Grammy mm-hmm. or having, you know, so like somebody like a Stevie Wonder, when we went to go visit him in his studio, it was like, look, man, Swingin' was on at the time. You sent me the songs, you sent me Swingin'. Mm-hmm. To get that compliment from him on that song, it's like, you guys, that song, you hit it perfectly. It's That's like, my favorite making song. It is so hard. Oh, thank you. He said, it's so hard to be a musician, try to have some depth, and sell a record where there there are millions of people who love it. He said, "You all found a way to do that." On if that Stevie song, Wonder right? says that to you, yeah. there's not an award that there's no statue, there's, not there's exactly. no billboard, right. there's not. They yeah. could take Hollywood down and put Stokely up there instead, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and it, it will never match Stevie saying that specific thing to you. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That right there is, you know, I, I, I could have left. Yeah, I could have left, and, been, and, and there know, are people that, that right got there. that got that got a a, a a a case full of trophies, and it's right. just like that's yeah, cool. Man. Like you have your thing, and I yeah. have mine. Since the beginning of the Travelers Podcast, we've been talking about vice gerent, makers and merchants of fine men's tailored clothing, and just the reality that we can either be intentional about what we wear or unintentional. And there's so much there that really does have a major impact on the ways that we engage ourselves and also the way that we engage and impact the spaces into which we enter. Um, You know, when I prepare to do this podcast. I'm on tour. I'm not in my studio. I'm in a hotel and I've been sleeping. If you're watching on a visual platform, I've been staying in this hotel for a couple of days now and I had to clean it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to get it together. But I, I wanted to go through that process of setting the tone and setting the, the, you know, the environment based on what is the intention? These conversations, the people I'm talking to, they matter to me. And so I want to convey that. I also want it to be pleasant for you if you're watching. 
you know. So those things send a message to me about the importance of the work that we're doing. And the energy that I bring into this work has everything to do with the preparation that goes into it. The same is true with our bodies and with ourselves. You know, there's this idea in our culture now that we're either sloppy and super casual and, you know, we kind of, you know, we dress for what we think is more comfortable and never mind what anybody thinks about it, or we're showing off. We're showing off how much money we have. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, stunting and, 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 and flexing on Instagram. But the reality is that there's something beautiful that's, that's neither of those things. The idea that, you know, when I groom properly, when a person, uh, you know, puts time into their appearance to be dignified, that it that it actually says something to us about our own value and about ourselves and about the work that we do what am i to what what am i giving my time to what am i spending my days doing because i have a limited number of days what am i doing with my time i should honor whatever that is you know what i'm saying like if i'm if i'm a janitor i mean and i have been if i'm loading trucks at ups and i have done that i mean that man those dickies were clean and ironed, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But there's something really important, that I, a message that we send to ourselves about honoring that process. And then when we show up in a way that's intentional and dignified, not flashy and showy necessarily, depending on the culture that we're in, it means different things for different people, you know? But when we come and in, enter into spaces and we're... we're dressed in a way and presenting ourselves in a way that's dignified, it encourages the overall atmosphere and vibe of that space that like we want to be elevating. We're always going to be either climbing or sliding. And everything in the human nature says, or everything in the human condition, I would say, says, don't work hard. Don't, don't, you know, be lazy. Come on, you know, we incline towards laziness unless we understand the importance of diligence and consistent work. So I just say all that to say that uh, it absolutely matters, the, you know, the ways that we present ourselves and the way that we show up. Also, vice-gerent clothes, vice-gerent, V-I-C-E, gerent, with a T at the end, uh, is, is sourced in ways that are ethical. And instead of, you know, you, you are spending money. You know, you're making an investment, but these are pieces that are that are sourced ethically. The the price that you're paying is because these are human beings that are making a livable wage. They're supporting their children and their families with what they do. You're not paying a corporation for its name recognition or for its advertising, and and that they're actually keeping the profits for the people at the top, and the 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 laborers that actually make your clothes are living in sweatshop conditions. And for most of us, this is the default unless you work really hard and go out of your way to find different, something different to put on. You know what I mean? So there's sourced ethically. You know, the labor is, is what you're paying for, the time, the attention, the expertise, the, the level of mastery that they've reached. But then also you're, you're, you're getting clothes that are made for you. So they last longer. They feel better. They communicate something to to you and to the people that you walk in a room with. You walk in a room dressed a certain way with this type of intention. It's not about look at me. A person feels honored to be in a room with someone like that. You know, if you've ever seen these like really dignified people, you know, 
you know, I, I, I can think of certain names that I won't mention now, but there are people that really are very thoughtful in their presentation. And then they look, some of those people, when they look at me and smile at me and talk to me, it makes me feel extremely honored. I think about the Nation of Islam selling the newspaper, selling Final Call newspaper in the projects with suits on. And it's like, why are they wearing suits? Because they're really, you know, because they're some sort of, they're honoring the people. They're honoring themselves. They're honoring the message. And they're honoring the people. They're like, you would get dressed up if you went and met with somebody rich and, and, and powerful because you're honoring them. But we're honoring our people by dressing the way that we do. And when you're in those situations, if you've ever been out with them and you see them hug people and talk to people and shake hands and address people, and you see that it, it, it elevates the whole situation. So head to Vice Gerent and check them out. Make an appointment. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Yes, it's an investment, but it's, it's an investment and it's not a drop. It's not just a big, um, it's not just a spend. You know what I mean? It's 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 an inv a true investment in the sense that it will actually bring a bring more value to our lives and to the world around us. So very very grateful to be partnered with Vice Gerent. Unity Productions is an incredible organization that brings together creatives to not only produce creative works and and cultural content, but they also have UPF, which is Unity Productions Foundation. And UPF has a program that they do very specifically called Unfold Your Own Myth, where writers come together to speak to youth and to instruct youth and to accompany youth on the journey of writing about themselves to documenting their own stories, and specifically in places where it's needed the most, in places like Afghanistan that have been you know, wracked with war for years, and where people's stories are profound. Like the things that happen in people's lives are amazing. I've learned this over and over, dealing with, with youth whose stories aren't being told. I spent a summer in, in South Minneapolis you know, teaching uh, hip hop as creative writing. So using the love that people have for hip hop to help them tell their stories. And these are like young Central South American family, chill, youth whose families came to America. Some of them may have been undocumented at first and some were still undocumented at the time. And to just even say to them like, yo, we need to hear your story, man. People don't know who you are. People talk about immigrants and illegals and all this stuff, and they don't know you, and they need to know you. I need to know you. I need to know what you've been through. I need to know what you've learned. What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your parents? And what have you learned about family? And what have you learned about America? They have a perspective on America that I'm not going to have. So like, I need your story and other people need your story. And you telling your story is going to do for you, inshallah, what it did for me. It's like something about documenting your story is like, man, I, am, I matter. I'm important. And I have something to offer. And so this amazing work, Unfold Your Own Myth is a seminar that you can get by going to upf.tv slash unfold. So if you work with youth, if you're a teacher, if you're a community person, uh, if you bring people together in any way, but particularly youth, go to upf.tv slash unfold and see how you can bring this seminar. I'm one of the people that contribute to the seminar. Very honored to do that. And also extremely honored to be uh, together with UPF. You lean almost towards like like gritty. 
there's like a funk thing, but there's like a there's a very deep rock influence on on what you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. All all of that, you know, I captured again having all these different genres and knowing again rhythmically, mm-hmm. it, being able to identify where it was from and what you know what I was doing. I was in, I used to take gigs with uh, bands who folks would probably consider corny, but I would do that purposely just to see how funky I could make it. You know what I mean? Dang man, and you talking about when was, we? You talking <laughs> about when we? When y'all came and did uh, Conan with me? That's all right, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> way before that, baby. <laughs> that was that was a highlight, by the way. That was so much fun, man. Thank you for that. No, man. thank that you. you a, and you know what I meant to tell that you was is a like moment, dude. So that was my first time on TV, and. Really? Like, like performing, yeah, and and you all were so good to come out and, and do it. And I remember I did Uncle Sam, goddamn. And yeah, I remember I you love, said we love that shit. No, you, you you said to me, you were like, that's an interesting choice, man. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and you said, well, you know, you just said it so nonchalant, like you weren't trying to be a teacher, but you said, mm. you know, these people tune in here and they're watching, they're they're, they're here to watch Conan because they want to laugh, and then here we come. You know what I'm saying? It's like you got this like full black band with this like bald albino guy in the front talking about Uncle Sam, goddamn. <laughs> he's like, you were like, yeah, he's gonna get letters. He's gonna get letters about this. He's gonna get letters. <laughs> and I just remember, th- and I was like, dang, wow. You think they might not have me back? And wow. you were like, well, if you become, if you become, if you get big, they have to have you back. But mm. if if uh, if you don't, they might not. You know what I mean? Wow. And I was like, and I said, That's so should I do it? And you were like, no. You were like, yeah, you should do it. Like yes, yeah, <laughs> like we here. <laughs> yeah, and you know the connection wow. with Dave was crazy. Wow. Is that I didn't know Dave yet, uh, but he mm. was in I think Saudi Arabia at that time, and mm. this is 2007. So he had left his he had left Chappelle show, and he was like traveling around the world, and he was like f- like finding refuge in places where Muslims are. So he went to South Africa, he went to Saudi Arabia, wow. and okay. he shows up in Saudi Arabia, and someone's like, hey, there's like a famous black american comedian here so that one of the there's a prince like one of the prince of the family invites him to the crib because he's a big fan and so dave was like man it was a trip man he was like i'm sitting there and i didn't know what was going on and he's like i just felt so out of my element so he's like he told me you could do anything you want so i said can we just watch tv i just want to see some shit that i know man so he said he turned on the tv (laughs) and it was it was us it was me and you me and y'all on conan what yeah are you serious yeah Wow. And so I, wow. He, he always was like, yeah, that, that was like a, he was like, man, I tried, he was like, I saw that. And, uh, and then, so that night that, that we were together with Dave and we did Uncle Sam Goddamn with y'all playing it. Wow. Every time I see him, he's like, I want that Uncle Sam Goddamn, baby. Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. Just like. Oh, wow. That's, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Wow. So that, wow. that's a connection that's that we crazy. have that we, we were that able was, to give him. That was him. fun, man. Yeah. That right, that was that was a great, we talked about that so much, man. It's like, man, that was that was just a great, now I'm gonna have to go watch that, man. So it's gotta be somewhere on, on YouTube. I've never been able to find it, but we did that and one other really? one too. I can't remember which other one we did, but we did two oh, of them that, at that same time. And they, yeah. they, and they did um, not invite me back. You know, it's a trip. So uh, the, my publicist on the next record was trying to get us on Conan. And um, Conan was in L.A. at this point. And so I had this song called Morning in America. And it Mm -hmm. was me and I had uh, these like young dancers, Iman and Khadija, the twins. And Mm -hmm. I had a horn section. And I had just done Mm -hmm. a show with Tom Morello from Rage. And and, and that that, that song has like a hard guitar line in it. And so Mm -hmm. I 
we asked Tom Morello, like, hey, would you come? So we were going to have this full band, these like Muslim women like popping and locking and Tom Morello playing the guitar. And so the, our publicist pitched it to him and they're like, yo, that sounds amazing. That's dope. We can't wait. All right, let me just go get approval. I'll hit you back in 20 minutes. They call back in five minutes and they're like, no, we're not doing that. And it's like, okay, uh, we can come up what? with another idea. We pitch another idea. And they're like, no, we're just not doing this. Thank you. I'm sorry. Goodbye. And then the same oh. thing, that same time happened with uh, Letterman. Like I, I, did a really? show, I did a show with uh, Tom Morello and Jackson Brown, like same show. Wow. So yeah, I had a wow. song on that okay, same record so. called Letter to My Countrymen with uh, Cornel mm -hmm. West. And so yeah. I had this idea for, yeah. for Letterman where it was going to be me and Jackson Brown and Cornel West on stools. And Jackson would, wow. be, playing, uh, would be playing Offender Roads. And yeah. we were all going to wear the black suits like Dr. West wears. And then at the, <laughs> I, I would do my song. And at the end, Dr. West does his, his little like rap at the end. And the same wow. thing, the people at, yeah. at Letterman yeah. were like, oh, we love Jackson Brown. We love, can't wait to do this. Yeah, we'll hit you right back. Called us back 10 minutes. No, we're not doing that. I'm like, dang, should have listened. That's interesting <laughs> because usually, or sometimes you'll, you would see some interesting things, more progressive things on Letterman. Sometimes some, you know, I, I guess sometimes in network, they, you know, they get a wild hair up their ass. They're like, oh, let's do it. Uh, but mostly no. Yeah, you know, but yeah, it's, I, and that's basically I think what you were more telling me. There's platforms for it now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, there's more platforms for it now to see that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, everything straight laced at that time was a little bit more. People are scared. People are, you right. know what I mean? And yeah. why disrupt the funny here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it and, and that's exactly what you told me. Yeah. Like, they're here to laugh and just be entertained. They're about to go to bed, and I just didn't get that. I was just like, yeah. they're about to be shocked. No, but I mean, it was it was a beautiful thing because I, I was quite aware of i'm like this is this is huge mm. you know what i mean this is a this is huge you know i mean for that i was the blow man i was like man i, I loved it i was just like wow this what they what's about to happen is this about to be a, a riot in here or something? <laughs> it's crazy but yeah yeah it's always like that yeah. that moment in um uh what's the cartoon uh with the two brothers huey and, and his little brother live in the suburbs oh, yeah it's like that moment where he yeah. stands up yeah the government is lying about 9-11 reagan so cracked da, 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 da. and he thinks everybody's head's gonna explode and everyone's just like yeah amazing and they just go back to partying that's how i always felt about all those moments like i was just like i'm about to tell the truth and you do it and the people are just like wow. uh-huh wow like we were... <laughs> that's funny okay as we were saying right they just move right. on like that never happened that exactly and that's what that's the scary part about it i said did you just hear what came out of his mouth? Mm -hmm. This is actually happening. This is how people, wow. No, you don't say, oh, interesting, you know. You know, there's that thing about being independent, though, you know, that like when you, when you build your career by really connecting with people, then that's something that those platforms or any record label, they didn't give it to you and they can't take it from you. They don't decide when you do that. And I know that you all in the in early on got like a like a Winnebago joint and just went to all of the mostly the HBCUs. And yes. I, I heard a story yes. where uh it's like the most Minnesota thing ever where you go to radio stations that were not playing your record and just thank them for playing <laughs> 
thank you so dude, we just want to thank y'all so much for all the support you know we're a young band we're from you know just thank you we just can't thank you enough and, da, 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 da. and the whole time yeah that's a trip that was uh, uh terry lewis he's brilliant man this dude is just relentless and he's yeah I love that dude man they both were just like because they were just like we're just gonna do what we feel mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. the ch- the song was going down the chart at the time which which like, record well, what was can that? we do we uh, this was um, Pretty Brown Eyes, matter of fact, because we released Are You Free, mm. you know, and that went, and then we released Pretty Brown Eyes second. And uh, so it got a little traction and then it started, you know, coming down. So we were like, you know, we got to get out here and touch some people. He said, like, y'all got to get out there however you can, you know, so we got it ready to Winnebago. Like you said, did a lot of the HBCUs, did a couple of video contests, that kind of thing. Mm. And um, man, yeah, that was the thing that really, <clears throat> uh, big up to um, HUR in DC, and also there was a uh, place in the Bay Area. The Bay Area and DMV are two spots that really helped blow us up. Yeah. It, it all started there. Those are you your know, homes, DC, away especially from home. first DC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, that's what got the party started, man. It's, it lit it on fire, you know, and then things kind of went up from there, you know. And so when that would happen, uh, so to cross that i guess uh, the pop radio the mainstream whatever um it was terry's idea over that both jam and him i'm sure they were like you know just let's go to these radio stations and we'd be like are they playing the record no just going to shame them into into playing it you know just but with <laughs> like, that, okay. that minnesota nice yeah but and it's not like it wasn't being played at others so we had like some you know we had a little bit of fluid in us so mm. i mean because everything was happening everywhere else they were playing it at the uh uh, compet- you know, competitor station. Uh, so we're like, well, you know, they're playing over here. We just came from there. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, thank you for playing it as well. And they'd be like, I don't think we're playing the record, are we? Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, we're not playing the record. Yeah, so um, that happened. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then next thing you know, it just exploded, you know. It's just amazing, man. And just that, the whole experience I wouldn't trade, just going through, you know, so much with, with Mint, just Mint University, I call it, because that's what it was for me. And um, man, to have so much of that mm-hmm. for so long, you know, and to competing, you know, we've had hits in every decade mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, getting one hit is, is hard enough, but then to sustain and keep that, you know, and doing that all while being a band, right? I think unheard of as long as we've done it consistently, you know, you know, there's been people that do it, come back and for that kind of thing, but I think for our kind of journey, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if if it's if we're not the only ones. We're, we're very, you know, s- you know, the, the list is short. Right, it's rarefied yeah, air. But yeah, man, it's rare air. It's just say so. Yeah, man, just so proud of that. So, uh, I, there, so there's, much. there's a question that I really feel in my soul, and I'm almost mm-hmm. hesitant to ask because you're a person that never has an unkind word to say about anything. But so when I hear about depends you depends on what it is. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when I hear about you all going to the Bay and going to DC and how much love there is there, and I've spent a good mm-hmm. amount of time in the Bay, 
And all of the music people that I know in the Bay, they're some of the most enormous Mint Condition fans. Um, yeah. On this, uh, you know, we have a like a group of subscribers that have like a like a um, personal like Slack channel thing. We have a conversation for of like supporters of okay. this show, and one of them is my mm. dear homie, this Muslim brother from the Bay named James Huff. And when I told him like I'm, I, I so I told the crew like the, that group I'm interviewing Stokely today, he lost it. Like it's just message, message, message. <laughs> James Huff, James Huff, James Huff, James. He was like, yo, because he's from the DMV. Wow. Yeah. Being in Minnesota. Wow. Being in the Minnesota music scene and going to not anybody's name, but, you know, sitting there over and over and over again at the current and at city pages and like all of these like, I mean, these are these are white music institutions that Mm -hmm. it, it really seems like Minnesota people will never will never toot their own horn individually, but they'll, they'll do it collectively. And so they'll talk about, mm-hmm. man, we have the most amazing inclusive music scene and we got all this diverse mm-hmm. so-and-so. I have always felt like it is a crime that for all of the, all of the music and all of the, the you know, celebration of all of this stuff, that they act like Mint Condition doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, they, I, I mean it's, it, it's, almost, it's mm. almost like y'all aren't even there. It's crazy. It's been that way, you know. It, it, but again, um, it's, it's one of those things. It's part of a, as we know, a, a part of a bigger system mm-hmm. that we fit into. We know if the tone were different, it'd be a different celebration happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't just be people celebrating us who look like us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It'd be everybody who listens to it from wherever you're from enjoys it. You know, but um, you know that's that's the, the way the system is set up. Yes, there's. You know, this place has given me a lot of spot, a a lot of, um, you say, a lot of success just with, you know, what it is and what it is not. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think that's what I take away from it. It's like, you know, the fact that it's not some things that I wish it was, I think, you know, you you create a kind of um, armor for that. Mm. So that becomes something and then that becomes, you know, part of your, your thing, your existence. And something that um, uh, you use in your art, so that makes it better. You know, you just turn it, you turn it into something, you know, a negative into a positive. Mm-hmm. But you know, you would hope that you know you'd have, like, say, for instance, more places to play, um, since it's based upon you know your culture and that kind of thing. Just, but again, part of this whole bigger systematic thing that we're under, this construct that we all have been under for quite a while. We try and fight against, you know. We're all in it, yeah. you know, and I realized to some degree too, entertainers and that they are part of, uh, we know there's, we have moments that we, that were used for distraction as well. I'm quite aware of that. Mm-hmm. That's why in what you do and what we say, you know, we were entertaining, but also interjecting a little bit of life and some truth in there too. So you know, I'm going to jab you with this, we're dancing and everything, but I'm going to jab you with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. So this is why entertainers and, and artists have always been the most explosive, the most dangerous to governments. And we're poking, poking the bear kind of thing. You know, so it's, just, it's nothing new that I'm telling you or saying, but you know, um, yeah, man, it's, this thing is real. So I think it's, we it's like, man, that, fit in. Yeah. The, just this feeling that like all of this talk about diversity and we're, we're such a diverse scene and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, man, mm. you are celebrating no. white artists and then yeah. Black art. There are black artists in there, but it's specifically the black artists that are gonna. And no shade to those artists, but like those are those are people Absolutely. that are gonna make white people feel good about the type of white person they are. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like I'm the type of yeah. white person that also listens to this. 
you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but just it's, straight, beautiful, amazing, culturally relevant, uplifting, life-giving music that's yeah. that's celebrated around the world. Like just how dare you? How dare it's it's like yeah. it's it's a it's a crime, man. It's a crime. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. So I mean, we tried to get our beloved first avenue. It was like, you know, I I, I don't know the deal over there. I don't know numbers but all i know is what we've seen mm. we've either sold out a couple of times or once or at least once or close to it I, I knew it was some small number if according to you know the keepers there but i i don't know i've seen lesser known artists there for instance get like the name on the wall kind of thing i'm like i, just, I don't understand it's not a big deal but it's just some, i'm just saying yeah it's just real it's a little sus yeah I'm like, i don't know but okay it's it's not you know it's just what, uh, and this is what other people have asked me, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, why did your name? I was like, I never really cared about it, you know, not really, but it is interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, in, it's an interesting scene. It's one of these things, man, where you, wherever you grow up, you learn to, to deal with it mm-hmm. as best you can. But, in, you know, uh, as yourself, it's what you, you know, the scene here and you speak to it, you know, it's like, and this is part of a larger peace that we're all dealing with this is just our you know our section of the world and, and you know there's other sections in the world that are like us too in, in this country you know um but uh you do with it you know with it what you can and i think what speaks louder you can say what you want but uh those of us who know mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. we know what's moving what is the biggest america's biggest export right and what you see i'm sure over in turkey and places that i visited it's just it's you can't contain that right the culture, the dress, the style, mm-hmm. the speech, mm-hmm. everything, not to mention the music and everything. You know, it's, it's, it's the spice of life, man, which, you know, again, you got to figure like, man, this, this stuff came from somewhere. So, I'm, and, yeah, I mean, I, you're talking about the original people. You're talking about everyone. Everyone people. says. That's what I was getting to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this, this thing about like, you know, so many like people in their 20s like hate their parents. And it's like, well, if you stick around long enough, though, you're you're gonna you're going to eventually start, you know, Im- revealing their influence on you, you know. What mm-hmm. I mean? And it's just, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and man. and people don't have another global way to the, relate to the world of meaning. Like everything else is mm. material. Everything else is just dealing with, right. you know, technology and what's what you can hold in your hand. But like, and especially with the collapse of so many wisdom traditions and religions, that like people are abandoning those things. So okay, so how do we access the world of meaning? It's really through culture. Mm. It's really through music. It's through you know the the ways that we talk right. and interact and. Artists yeah. are the only people that really can get away with publicly. Like Chance the Rapper said, I talk to God in public. Like the only people mm. that can really do that without without That's having true. to explain ourselves. Yeah. And right. everybody in the world yeah. is doing that through the lens of not only African people, but the African people who experience the worst that the human can do, that the worst that a, the, the the evil side of a human being can offer to others. Yeah, you know one That's of crazy, one man. of the other things that yeah. that. Um, when I talk about like you sticking to your guns and holding to your principles, just the amount of time that the band stayed together, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And like how difficult it is for any group of people. And just the fact that powers at work seem to be breaking bonds between people. 
and and really undermining the idea of community and of working together. And I know that mm. joint wasn't always easy. I know one time, um, I feel like Odell was telling me one time, he was like, you know, we used to punch each other in the face all the time, every day. <laughs> he was like, we used to fight because it was a weird moment one time. We, I can't true. remember what we were rehearsing, but there was like, like very clearly like tension. And I'm not going to recall. I'm not going to like, but there was tension with, with two people. And, uh, and you looked at me and you were like, that's five, brother Ali. And I was like, okay. And then and I was sitting there with OD, like everybody else got up and left. And he was just sitting there like, man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's hard to, hard to, hard to, and at you, and one time you, Family. you called it a musical marriage. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been married to them longer than anybody, mm. you know, like my wife, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's, I mean, cause you're talking about relationships, man, and you live, you know, with these gentlemen 24 seven, pretty much on the road for many years. Mm -hmm. And you know, them just like, it's, it's your brothers, you create that bond. And then mm -hmm. for a long time before that, you are eating together, you having, all these discussions about stuff you're traveling together seeing a lot of same things and just i can't imagine it doing what we did without them i mean it's not the same but just an amazing that was a gift man mm -hmm. to have that you know what i mean and i realized that I, for me like i said i'm a natural collaborator so i was it was i guess pressure in some way it, i think it would be probably it would have been more pressure and it's something I did think about from time to time but not really just because I was comfortable in love being part of a collective like that because mm -hmm. I knew we had something special to say mm -hmm. you know a dime a dozen artists you know in, in vocal groups and solo artists that's something you know I always knew down the road I could do whatever do a jazz project or whatever project I, I wanted to do mm -hmm. you know if I had the ambition I was going to do it at, at somewhere along the line I guess and um but I always felt like that collective of band, you mm -hmm. know, of what we represented to me was spoke volumes. And that's what I was really thinking. You know, people thought I was one, one spot and I was totally somewhere else. I'm like, no, this is bigger than just music. It's like what we represent is black brothers coming together, yeah. working, having success and continuing and sustaining that success, yes. success through everything, through all of the, the challenges, because people are going to have challenges. That's yeah. just life. And you work through it. You work past it, you work under it, and you figure out, you make compromises and, you know, uh, letting everybody have a voice mm -hmm. and, um, and moving ahead. That's the way to do it. You know what I mean? And so I knew that I was the key. Everybody has, plays different roles. I knew my role sometimes would be like the utility guy or to clean this up. And, and then I would switch. We'd all have different roles. It was just, we wouldn't know how to move after a while together. Mm -hmm. Yes, the early days we had those fights and, you know, you know, verbal or physical. And it's like, you just, you know, that's how you know your family is like, man, you yeah, go right. through that stuff. And okay, next, what's, what's next? What are we doing? And that's the attitude that I had. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that happened. You guys done? Are we done with, okay, let's, what's, here's what's now what? staring us in the face. Mm -hmm. We did all that for, you know what I mean? So. But um, a fun moment, so many amazing fun moments we had. Yeah, of course. And um, I couldn't take that, you know, with, with all the tension. And that the tension is part of the fire, though. You know, you got to have that right. tension release. Tension relates. Right. You see it with movies all the time. In stories that you build, mm -hmm. same thing. You know, this, you 
build something that's beautiful and it's like, oh, where's the tension? Oh, there's the big bag. Wolf. How are we going to overcome this? Oh, we overcome it. You know, whatever did, your story is. You know, when you, when you finally, because I know that like industry stuff, people were trying to get you to go solo for years and years and you just didn't do it. Oh, so obviously, almost when you, every album, obviously when you did it, it, was, was it? it was time. And I know that you're not alone in feeling that way. Like I, I know that guys just were like, mm-hmm. I have a vision and I'd like the chance to just take my vision to fruition without navigating mm-hmm. all this. And I've seen it with, you know, like Chuck D held Public Enemy together. So he held pro- mm-hmm. Professor Griff and Flavor Flav in the same unit for decades. Wow. With, with all of this, you know, with all of these wow. highs and lows and joys and woes and that, that mm-hmm. like he had to hold all of that together for so long. When you finally wow. made that decision, did you mourn it? Like, did you did you grieve? Not in the way that I thought I would. Mm. I kept expecting some big moment or something like that, um, which lets me know that you know I've been preparing, not knowing it in which ways for this for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, not even thinking that I wanted to do this. It's, I think just everything has prepared me for these moments. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is probably when I really started thinking about it, this is probably even before Mint, you know, is preparing me for life, a life in the industry, a life in as a musician, as a creative musician, more so than a popular singer mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because I've always had a musician attitude and other musicians know it's like, you know, you have you're more like a musician than a singer because. Mm-hmm. The thing is, there's an air about singers that have this little bit more holier than thou and, you know. Um, you know, we have moments where it's like, yeah, we feel none of us would be here and doing what we're doing if we didn't think we're at least some kind of good. That's just, we get to right. a point where Because like, at the end of the day, okay. we hold the mic and we're like, everyone, will it be listening to me for the next hour? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Exactly. And I, so, and trust me, yeah. it's the right thing. <laughs> it's right, exactly. So you have the, I say you have the right kind of ego for that. We get, you know what I mean? If you, if you're centered or, correctly. Or it's a then, calling. That's, yeah. And it's just like, hey man, it's ego got nothing to do. I'm a servant of this calling. Right. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's more so that than anything, because mm-hmm. it is, like I said, it's a, it's a form of prayer mm-hmm. for me, which means it's coming through me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And people really get that the more that they're moved, the more that I feel that's like, wow, this is, my channel is open today, like more than it is usual, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think that's the thing they see. And then that ends up reflecting, it's like, this is what you are. That whole thing that we already know, it's like, you know, just reflecting yourself, what's already in you. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing that out and... You know, it's all speaking through all of us. Those of us connected know that and feel that. And that's what that is. Some people can't articulate like that or they may not even see it like that. Mm-hmm. But I do. I, so I you're saying that when, 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 yeah. a, when music or when some sort of expression resonates with somebody, it's because it's holding a mirror to them and like, this is what's in you. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And something may be blocking. Just like we need something that's like a clogger, spiritual clogger, mm-hmm. <laughs> spiritual plunge, mm-hmm. plunge, I don't know. And um, we just kind of like, oh, for a moment, they're like, oh, I didn't see it from that perspective, but this makes me, I'm open. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, what meditation is about. That's why they hum, because there's certain frequencies within your being mm-hmm. that uh, um, uh, will make you feel better or worse, you know, hitting certain chakras. I mean, it gets to a physical plane. It really does, you know. As well that, mm, certainly we, we hum, mm. when we were in the field, it's not like we felt good, you know, chopping that you know getting that cotton and that kind of thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. but i think humming you know heaven knows those field house and i think you know, the blue note mm-hmm. it made us feel better it made it it made it less bad right. i'll say that i won't even say feel bad it's just it made us feel a little bit less bad probably 
working out in the hot sun all day, sun up, sun down, you know, probably whips, cracking that whip and that kind of thing. That can't be fun. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that kind of resonance within you, man, it does something. Mm. It opens that channel. So it make you feel like you can breathe if, even if it's for a few minutes. So the time that we're up there on stage mm -hmm. and people are listening to you, they, they're, op they're dancing, whatever, rocking with you, or they're closing their eyes, listening to what you got to say, swinging and swaying. That's a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. And it's no different than, you know, a, a preacher getting up there saying some words. It's the same kind of thing, preaching in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And hip hop is like church. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the entertainment industry is like church, you know? We're the preacher up there and the congregation is down there. And we're saying what we're saying. They're saying, yeah, amen. We with you. You know what I mean? That's why it's really powerful. Like what people say. And it's like, you know, when they say you got to be held accountable, high, the people are looking at you and, you know, you know, we're examples of what you can become or not, you know, become. Um, it, it's a really powerful um, uh, platform to have. So it's, I realize the, the, the older I get, the, the responsibility of it and, you know, we wrestle with that because it's like, okay, who am I? Mm -hmm. I'm different than what the perception mm -hmm. introducing stupid of me. Right, right. That's the way I Absolutely. felt like that. Like that was such a powerful yeah. statement, man. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I mean, I, w I would imagine that there may be some in stepping outside of this fortress that you've been in for so long, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's some degree of uncertainty, or maybe even mm -hmm. fear or some yeah. sort of trepidation about, of is it going to work? Are the people going to come? Are the people going to, you know, are they going to understand? Because also, also, did you just now start going by just the single name Stokely? Uh, no, I always had, you know, but some people just use the last name sometimes. Mm -hmm. and some, you know, I was like, let me just make it a thing. And I just felt like this time that we've entered into, people are more relying on things than their own brain. So their, their brain parts, like it's shortening. Mm. No long form reading. It's, you know, uh, catchphrases and blurbs and, you know, sound bites. Memes, dude. You know what I mean? So yeah. the shorter, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Stokely, if you look on my latest Stan Kofi, I was like, you know, it's just going to be one, one word, yeah. you know, for the titles, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lost, vibrant, <laughs> she... I didn't even think Woman. about that. They're all just one yeah. word. Look at the title. It's just always, you know, there's one that's probably got a long title, but I was like, I'm just one, one word. Two. That's all we need here, people. Song, you know what I mean? album, yeah. show. That, <laughs> right. Sankofa. Sankofa. Yeah. Was, is, yeah. Is Pops the one that coined that phrase that says Sankofa makes the past a current event? Yeah. He, like, as, as I do when I go over there, I have my phone. And once we start to, I turn on my voice memo. And that's what that was. And we were talking about, I was asking about what do you thought about the concept of Sankofa, which I've heard growing up my whole life, mm -hmm. you know. It means to and, go get something from the past as though like, this is what I've. Yes. People yes, used to say when, when Malcolm it. started going to Africa, Malcolm passed away today. This is the anniversary, when day that we're recording this. Oh, uh, they man. say, say uh, Malcolm was criticizing the people that he said, uh, why would you go back to Africa? I haven't left anything in Africa. Why you left your mind in Africa? But Sankofa <laughs> means to like go back and get the things that were left and That's like right. to bring go them into the moment. Yes, mm. absolutely. Yeah. And that was me. Mm. I'm like, you know, I brought all the things back. That's the whole thing about the album is like everything of uh, who I am. The only element I did not, it's it just, you know, I'm going to get it together is my hip hop element. And a lot of people don't realize it because I really quit drums pretty much to the side, put the linoleum down, 
for about a year, year and a half when things was popping off, you know, back then. Mm. And that part, I wanted to have a DJ the whole thing, but, you know, budgets and, you know, figured out another time. Ali Shaheed Muhammad. That part of it. Oh, man. He loves you. Met to love that dude. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's you. been a minute since I got to ring him up. But yeah, man, it's, it's, um, that's the only other element. So going back to get it, uh, speaking on the whole Sankofa project mm-hmm. is more, um, all of it. You know, you hear stuff from like the, the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the 80s, you know, I think I did with the Bonfire. It reminded me of like an 80s feel, the 90s with Vib- you know, with Snoop Vibrant, mm-hmm. my roller skating 90s song, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and everything up to now, but it has that thread of the percussion and mm-hmm. what I came through. And it's laced every few songs with that just to remind you, just kind of snap you back yeah. and take you through all those genres. Yeah. You know, R&B, you have this trap kind of sound and stuff. You have some old 70s soul mm-hmm. kind of vibe, you know, and um, everything in between, you know, and all the different themes that we have, you know, ranging from, you know, just love relationships uh, in, into uh, like a uh, recipe, which is like basically, Shades of white supremacy, mm-hmm. basically, and just all these different, a few different themes on there. Whereas, and it's wrapped and encapsulated in different. It's just like the album reminds me of life. Mm-hmm. You have these, you know, you have the uh, relationships. There's sexual tension. There's social tension, and these all these different things are all wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, again, this is how I came back. Brings it back to when you asked me about pops mm-hmm. coming and seeing him fighting, and you know, all that all that stuff with the community, and you know, just being at odds. And I remember. Um, very young, but you know, he reminded me. I remember, like, when the FBI came to our house, that whole thing, you know, asking him about people and characters he was hanging with, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they were trying to advance our folks and everything. Anyways, mm-hmm. another story, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, it, it's all this stuff is connected to me, you know what I mean? And it brings me back to that, you know, again, going back to get it, it me remembering what I came through, mm-hmm. what makes me everything I am today, not just as a musician, but as a, as a human. It's amazing to me that, you know, they closed the roller gardens, which for people who don't live in the Twin Cities, I mean, that's like one of the black cultural hubs for for decades, man, for decades. I mean, every bit as much as Riverview Supper Club or, you know, but just like losing Disco T, you know, uh, losing Brother Jules and, you know, closing. But that, that song Vibrant. I feel like some of that energy, like that energy is alive in that record. So the record you know is still funny? there. Before we did the video, mm. I still have my skates from back. And for some reason, I don't wear this size now, mm. but for some reason I still fit my skates. So it must be a bigger size. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, I needed some wheels. I was like, I can't have these same dusty, you know, urethane wheels that I had back, you know. And so I went to the garden like two days before I went to go shoot that video. Mm. And I wasn't going to skate. I was like, ah, but I was like, I got to test them out just to see. I said, give me these. Let me test these out. And boom, boom, boom. Mm. And I only planned on, you know, just skating one song. Man, I skated for the rest of the night and I, because I forgot. You used to go there and a buddy of mine, we used to win a couple of skate contests, that kind of thing. Man, I was like, all right, I still got a little boogie left in me. I'm like, all right, a little boogie left. <laughs> I can't do it at all. And, uh, I can't skate at so all. So you're right, man. <laughs> mm. You're right. A lot of the spirit. It's straight, you know, from the garden, man. I went and it's just, so I'm so glad that I had that moment yeah. two days before we shot that video. Uh, so, yeah, man, I was, because I was planning on going on a Thursday night. I guess that's the popping night, or was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's gone. And the funny thing about it, I feel like there's been a surge in like roller skating. I've seen all these roller, I was like, oh, these communities of roller skaters. I'm like, this is killing. Yeah. Love it. It feels like if they you know? just could have held out another year or like. I know. Just, 
yeah, man, that's 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 tough. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, a piece of piece of culture, piece of his piece of history. Yeah, his history. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge part of the history. You know, but I just think about yeah. like the idea of Sankofa and literally, you know, thinking about you as a little kid with the drums that your parents brought back, you know, from mm. from the continent, but they're on the wall on display as a historical remnant, and then you take them off the wall on your own and start playing them. And wake up, yeah, wake up your your wake up your father and mother like that, you know what I mean? To that's me, that's crazy. like you talking about a full circle moment with Sankofa. It's like, you right. know what I mean? Right. To to literally get the remnants, literally get the remnants from the past, and then yeah. play them just from your natural self without training, without anyone, you know, right. without being, right. uh, you know, necessarily groomed to play. Right. You know what I mean? And the idea of being able to wake to to reawaken. Mm. You know what I mean? To, mm. to, to reawaken, mm -hmm. to be like, this sounds right. Like this reminds, because it starts reminding yeah. them of something as well. Right. You know, and not just, yeah, it's like, wow, okay, I remember this. And, you know, man, it's, I swear this stuff, man, there's no coincidences. It's true. I know you know that. When I did go to Ghana, the first night we got there, and I didn't know, it was just as great, wonderful. You know, we were in Accra. Somehow I find myself in a drum circle that night with drummers and dancers and I'm like I don't know but you know he said I will show you the rhythm brother he's tapping it out on me and taps the the, the you know I said when the, when the lead drummer starts off does the drum call here's the answer and then we go in I'll I'll cue you in I swear I was just looking I couldn't even believe I was I was floating at that point because I mean I had come back we went there to do to the woman video with Kitty but I knew it was going to be much richer it wasn't just about going to do a video because it was my first time there and just blew my mind that night that moment i was that transcended i mean just i was in another plane it was definitely a prayer and it was just like man this is where i'm supposed to be at this exact moment in life this is definitely not a coincidence and this is how i started everything it was just really whew, it was a powerful moment you know to watch that and to see that and uh to be a part of that for the first time so that let me know like everything is in alignment just keep following the path Keep following your heart, keep reaching, keep striving, keep climbing, you know. And that's, 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 uh, I think, the mantra for all of us, you know, fall down, you know, keep getting up and push past it, you know what I mean? There's a lot waiting on the other side. So, you know, all these, the things in the beginning, you say going back to get it, that's why it's really, you know, having Pops on the record definitely completed the whole assignment, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, man, really, really grateful for it. I got a hundred other questions, but I, I can't, I have to, that's got you, right. I mean, that's gotta be, <laughs> that's gotta be this. Oh, it's all good, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm here for you, man. Yeah. No, nah, it's, it's, us, it's yeah. really, um, it's a really beautiful thing. I don't know if you know, just real quick, but, um, we played in the band together, Ursus Minor with Jeff Lee Johnson. Yes. Rest in peace. That's right. The great oh. Jeff Lee Johnson. I mean, I miss that's that guy man. so much, man. I really do, man. Sitting there just hunched over the guitar. You always just see the back that's of his right. head. That's right. He was something else. <laughs> Oh my goodness, just, just an amazing soul, man. This dude, oh, yeah, that's him. He's like, Always, like you just see the, like, like he'd be, yeah, ha, yeah, yeah. When somebody did <laughs> yeah. something cool, he wouldn't even look at anybody. He just, ha, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good, man. Amazing talent. But that, man. that was wow. the first time when we did that band and we went to Paris. That was my first time in Europe. 
That was like my first time like playing music really? outside of America. Yeah. I did not know that. And so I went there with you. And that, that also was, you know, when I converted to Islam, I became an imam and got married and did the whole thing. I just married the first yeah. Muslim woman because I'm like, well, she's a Muslim. Yeah. I'm a Muslim. <laughs> then it'll work, right? Like, <laughs> Let's go. Okay, 17. Let's see how that works. <laughs> and it was like a long, so we got Islamically divorced, but it took a long time to, for the legal part mm. to go through. So in the right. meantime, right. I met my wife now. We've been together 18 years, mm -hmm. baby, you know, wow. great, great, amazing. Like that, you know, met, mm. met the one. But I couldn't marry her yeah. legally yet because I was still. So the first time okay. we went to Paris together was the, literally the day I got to, on a plane. Like they delivered the papers telling me that that was done, like legally. And then we left and wow. went to Paris and, and got to spend that like a week with you and Jeff. And um, Really? Yeah. And... You know, just like, and you showed me a lot about just being out of the country and performing music. And you, would, you know, just mm. gave me a lot of games. Jeff did too. And um, wow. we were in those sessions. And you all actually let me like stretch out. Like you treated me like a musician. Oh, yeah. You all were the first real musicians yeah. that would treat this rapper wow. like a musician. And so that, oh, was, you that was the first time. And then the second time we went, you know, it was it was maybe two three months later, and I had finally was mm -hmm. like, okay, now I can marry my first wife legally, and you know, mm -hmm. the career hadn't really gone very far yet, so I used the, right. that second trip to Paris as our honeymoon, and then we got we got <laughs> married right before that, and so that second trip, to, oh, you cool. know what I'm saying? So like, oh, I was wow, with you wow. when I got free yeah. from the first joint, and then wow, when we finally made the second one legal. You know what I mean? And those were major, major moments for me, man. And not to wow, mention, that was, you're on our record, you're singing on my records. And then, oh. man, so you and Chuck D are on the same, my Us album, on the same track. Like you're yes. singing up yes. under Chuck. Yeah. All right, right. I was like, I, I didn't realize when we were putting it together. I was like, oh, okay. I'm part of some, all right, part of something here. Yeah, yeah. All like right. you're singing yeah, up under that. Chuck. Thank you. Um, yeah. But then Chuck asked me to be on a Public Enemy record. And that's a whole other level. You know what I mean? Like if it's like they're, they're patting you on the head, like yeah, yeah, kid, I'll be on your record. But then, uh, uh, yeah, it happens. Come on. But then, so Come then, on. so then you were on my record, and then I got the call, like, hey, would you do a verse for this new Mint record? I was just like, yo, and I get, those happened at the same, at the exact same time. So I like, bro, I, I did the the Mint record and the Public Enemy record in the same week. I, I want to say it was in a, within a few days of each other. That goes down is one of the baddest. Nobody could have done that. You know, and that that's one of the baddest verses that I've ever heard. I mean, that, I mean, just you put it, encapsulated everything perfectly. It was clear. It was, I mean, just concise. And then only your, with your, only you with your case. I have no idea what I said. Everything. I just know I'm on a main condition record, just, damn it. That's like, oh my Lord. Man, it's like, I'm is, on a main condition record. Just, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That, thank you, bro, for that. Yeah. That's a blessing. We are a part of history together. The legacy is strong and it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. So much gratitude. Man, well, we, yeah. we celebrate you and we love you. And it's just one of the great honors to know you and to be connected to you Likewise. and your beloved family. And we pray Allah make everything yeah. easy for your, especially for your, for your parents and give them a long life of yeah. health and uh, give mm -hmm. you everything that you desire, especially to the best of your intentions, beyond your wildest dreams for you and your family mm -hmm. and all your loved ones. And yeah, man, you're a treasure, man. Thank you're a living treasure. And, you, and we're man. very, very grateful uh, to likewise, have you. Likewise, man. Yeah. yeah. May God bless you and your family over there, man. Keep you safe and, uh, you know, prosper everything, you know, that you want to do. I hope that you get it, man. You know, and I, I know you will. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. You know, well done already, bro. Continue. I, I look up continue to you. Continue to spread the word. And thanks. Thank you for this platform, too. I look up to you, you know, and, really, and um, 
yeah. I, I look for your approval. And so when you give it to me, it matters to no. me. Bruh, you are, I've, <laughs> you've got people way beyond me that, that <laughs> you already know, but the, the, uh, the track that you're on, man, the Cornell and, you, you know, it, oh man, Chuck D and all these different, being many others that I, I'm, I, I, I try to follow you as much as I can. I'm like, oh, he's doing this. And he's over here, I'm like, wow. My cat, yeah, my cat. I'm proud, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank you so much for rocking with us another week on the Travelers Podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Stokely, my dear friend and brother. As you can hear, we can talk for hours and hours and hours, and we're just probably going to have to wait till the next time we go to Paris together or something. But my dear, beloved friend, big brother to me, a teacher to me, a mentor, I think, to us all. Much love to the great Stokely Williams and also to his family, you know, not only to his father and mother, but also to his wife and his children and, and to the whole family for the sacrifices that they make. Uh, uh, special thanks to uh, our sponsors, our partners on this podcast, the Cot Foundation, to UPF. Special thanks to Resma Menikim. Special thanks to Vice Gerent. Uh, I also want to give special thanks to Emna Mirza, Mansur Panawala. Last word, Amir, Amir Rahman, my man Ant, my man Darian Washington, uh, and to Mark at Medina Hip Hop, who did our logo. The Travelers Podcast is produced by Brendan Kelly and is a production of Travelers Media. Please make sure to head to BrotherAli.com. Check out our tour dates. We're on the, on the road right now, having an amazing time. We'll see you next week. We got another dope guest for you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.